but they're writing about it because they got $150 worth of free food and drinks at it last week, and the publicist is now emailing them and saying, hey, do you think you could include this? And they're like, well, sure, you know, you gave me all that free food and stuff. So that's why we say no always to press dinners. I mean, we don't do comped meals. We don't let a publicist make a reservation for us. I make reservations under different names. I never use Ryan Pfeffer unless it's an accident and, like, my resi account just pulled it from my Gmail or something, but that happens very rarely. So we really try to experience the restaurant like any other normal person would experience the restaurant. This is one of the few guests that we've had who, uh, who has a useful bio on his website for us to read. And I'm going to... Like manatees, I heard. This is as far as the research around here goes. Ryan Pfeffer. After earning a BS in editing, writing, and media from Florida State University, Ryan joined the Miami New Times staff in November 2013 as a web editor and eventually music editor, where he once had lunch with DJ Khaled. And made very little money. (laughs) Yeah. The whole time or just that one time? The whole whole time. time. Got it. Got it. Since then, he's won first place awards from the Florida Press Association, the Society of Professional Journalists, and the Florida Magazine Association, as well as third place honors in the 2016 Green Eye Shade Awards. It's bronze, right? It's a bronze? You got a bronze? bronze. You got a bronze. Yeah, boy. Nice. He is now the editor of Infatuation Miami and has written for places like New York Times, Washington Post, Billboard, Vice, AV Club, American Way, and Fort Lauderdale Magazine when he's not busy trying to earn the trust of stray cats. Right. I'm Nick Jimenez, and I'm joined by alleged chef, eighth grade basketball MVP, and chili cook-off champion chasing his second chili trophy, Michael Beltran. Only one of those things is actually true, and the fact that I was an MVP my eighth grade year, and I was a point guard. That's absurd. Anyone who knows my story knows that I was, I've been fat my whole life. <laughs> and that when I was a kid, I was a little fucking bowling ball. So, but this is all accurate. Yeah, but you get in there and box people out. Use your weight. Not as advantage. a point guard, Ryan. You don't. At a point guard, you got to be, you know, <laughs> Jason Kidd, That's true. Steve Nash. You're talking to someone who was so inept at basketball growing up. Oh yeah, that, that, I was too. Put it this way: our team didn't win any games, <laughs> none. But that's why I was the best player on the team. So, so this is where I'm going to hand it off to you. I just want to note. That, uh, unfortunately, uh, this, this was not a case where we were stood up. The person really did have to uh, cancel tonight. And we already had in mind um, inviting Mr. Pfeffer over here onto the podcast. However, I would like to note that the reason why your name came up as a possible invite very recently in very uh, alleged Chef Michael Beltran fashion, because <laughs> I, I got a DM when we were talking about prospective guests for 2021 that said, hey, this guy wrote something nice about us. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's. I just. I'd. I'd like to. Anyone who listens to this this crazy thing that's actually a podcast that apparently people actually listen to know how much I harp on the fact that restaurants in Miami need to actually be who you are and stop trying to be like somebody else. So, when that piece came out, was it yesterday the day before? It was yesterday, actually. Yesterday. I, I, I was, I've had a fucking dreadful week. I clapped. I was happy. It was just like, and you know, I didn't even need to like read the, I read the article obviously, but when I just read the headline, I was like, for fuck's sake, finally, somebody fucking said it. 
Because I could say it, but I say a lot of things. Yeah. I say a whole fuck ton of things that nobody gives a fuck about. But you, sir, people read your things, and people care about the things that you say. So, Thank you. The, the, the title of the article was, uh, what exactly before I butcher it? Because I'll butcher it. It was, the last thing Miami needs is another, quote, Tulum-inspired, end quote, uh, restaurant. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, that's absolutely correct. It's like... Um, and every, and I think now, more than ever, we're going to see this stuff because in, in the portion of the world that we're in, a lot of money that's going into restaurants is from real estate people. Yep. Because they want to reactivate their spaces. They want to reactivate things. They don't give a fuck about their old tenant. They don't give a fuck that their old tenant went out of business. They don't give a fuck about their livelihood or whatever. They're gone. So... They're getting all of that money that they have backlogged or whatever that they have for a rainy day, if they will. And they're going to say, you know, we need to invest it into something that people are going to flock to. And Tulum-inspired restaurants or bars or whatever sounds about right. Yeah. Well, I have some small good news for you, first of all. That article that we, we are just talking about that went live yesterday was probably the most well-received, popular, viral thing that I've written since I was at the infatuation. So there are clearly... Thank you, but my larger point is there are clearly a lot of people in the city who agree with you and agree with me. And in a sense, I felt like... You know, I, we we're doing this whole big end-of-year package at the infatuation that is live on our website right now. So go infatuation.com backslash Miami and check it out. It's called Thank You Restaurants. It was just sort of trying to be a look at, like, this insane fucking year for restaurants. And I was reflecting a little bit about, like, what I wanted to say about restaurants and what I wanted to say about what happened to them this year and how we can sort of move forward in a progressive way that would be good for the actual city. And, like, two weeks ago, I think I was just scrolling through Instagram and a random influencer story popped up, and it had the word Tulum in it. And at that point, it just sort of triggered me. And I was like, I had this moment where I realized, if I hear the fucking word Tulum one more time this year, I'm going to punch a goddamn hole through the wall. Amen. And I did Woo! A, a, Amen to that! I did a quick search in my inbox, just Tulum. Five emails popped up of press releases that I got for Tulum-inspired restaurants. And... So it made me think, okay, there's something here. I think there's an essay here. And I wrote it, and you write these things. You work hard on them. Sometimes they fall flat on their face. Sometimes everyone comments that you're an idiot. And then sometimes people really rally around the piece and agree with you. So that's what happened in this case. And it was great. It's validating to the way I felt. I think it was validating to the way a lot of people in this city, including you, feel. And if I could beam that article into the subconscious of every developer and landlord in Miami right now, I would if I had the technology. I think it needs to go deeper than just the developer. People need to start believing in themselves and believing in who you are and what you want to impact the world with more so than just trying to be X, Y, and Z. The reason why Tulum is so special is because it's Tulum, because it's not anywhere the fuck else. Mm -hmm. You can't do a Tulum thing outside of Tulum. Yeah, right? but also the thing about Tulum now is it was at one point very special, and it's still a beautiful place, and the people who live there and who are from there are wonderful, I'm sure. I've never been to Tulum, and that's the first sentence of this Me article. <laughs> but 
Tulum has been widely reported to have been ravaged and completely taken over by this stream of tourists who don't give a fuck about the community, who come there and do drugs and drink and throw their trash everywhere and leave. And that, to me, sounds a little bit like what we see in Miami. Not quite on that scale. Well, yeah. We have a a bar south of 5th. Let me tell you, it's on that scale. <laughs> it's on that scale. I've been to Scapegoat, by the way. I like Scapegoat. Sometimes the people in Scapegoat are oh, yeah, a little suspect. the same way. The people in there sometimes, that's why. Now we have a nice outdoor patio that's open seven days a week. Please come At by. Scapegoat? Yeah. Oh, I'll be there. My girlfriend lives in South of Fifth, so I walk by it like on a weekly basis. We just built that, that patio... Right on, right on reopening because we knew, like you know, with the capacity thing, we could literally fit four people inside because it's fucking tiny. Yeah. So we asked the city for permission, which they granted for us, and that, I'm very gracious for that. And um, now you know we have a nice outdoor patio. You can hang out outside. It's totally cool, and they they did it for a lot of the restaurants that were actually down the road, and that's why I got the idea to. Hopefully they would extend it to us. Good. I, I like I, some of the best cocktails in South Beach. I think at Scapegoat, I've always had a good experience with the, the Spagliato. Is one of the best cocktails I've ever had. What's in What's in that? I don't remember. Don't <laughs> come on. We'll edit this part. A lot out. of I'm good stuff. Kidding. Yeah, all the good things. Can I tell you? This is actually the first day we've actually ever met. Mm-hmm. I have yeah. fed you several times, and I always know when people are in my restaurant. Just so you know, that's surprising to me because I had no idea that you knew that I was in your restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially Christmas Day because I was uh, sitting at the pass, and you were sitting like right Christ- across. Christmas Day. It was that. Uh, well, it was your name. I got bad news for you. I was not here Christmas Day. Man, that looked a lot like you. <laughs> I mean, it's brown, dark hair. I probably was in my. There's only that name is very like very. No, there are Pfeffers, and actually, I will say my cousin Dylan Pfeffer just moved to Miami, so there could be a rogue Pfeffer oh, walking around making. I don't like this rogue Pfeffer <laughs> reservations. Thing. There's also a publicist in Miami named Jessica Wade Pfeffer. Uh, so there, are Pfeffers are out there. So I. It's well documented how I feel about the way certain people write about Miami and so on and so forth. I, um, I feel like when we did our duck press program, it was a pretty special thing for the city and for the restaurant and for me personally and whatever. And I don't, I don't reach out to anybody, right? Yeah. Uh, to ever come by and eat. And all of the other people that do the things that you do would tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I reached out to you, and you told me no. <laughs> and my response to you was, man, I like you so much more now. <laughs> Trust me, there was a very big part of me that wanted to say yes to that. But one big thing that we do at the infatuation that I have not been presented with the opportunity to do at the previous places that I've worked is we pay for everything that we eat. We have a budget, a monthly budget that makes sure that we can eat out pretty much as much as we want. And the reason we do that is indicative of a lot of what's wrong with Miami media right now, and especially Miami food media, is that you have people going on press dinners, eating and drinking for free. And I don't want to sound like a hypocrite because I've been on those press dinners when I worked at previous publications where I did not make enough money and I was not provided with a monthly budget to go eat out. Mm -hmm. So it was a fun opportunity where you go, get to go to a restaurant. And looking back on it now, I am slightly ashamed of partaking in those things for reasons 
a lot of reasons, one of which is it's unethical as a journalist. As a food journalist, specifically, it's unethical. So that's why we don't do it. Two, it creates this weird economy of favors that I think is plaguing Miami food media right now, where we're not writing, well, I won't include myself in this, but people aren't writing about restaurants because they genuinely love them, and the you know, first bite of food sparked some sort of thing that happened in their stomach and their heart and their brain that was like amazing but they're writing about it because they got $150 worth of free food and drinks at it last week and the publicist is now emailing them and saying hey do you think you could include this and they're like well sure you know you gave me all that free food and stuff so that's why we say no always to press dinners I mean we don't do comped meals we don't let a publicist make a reservation for us. I make reservations under different names. I never use Ryan Pfeffer unless it's an accident and like my resi account just pulled it from my Gmail or something, but that happens very rarely. So we really try to experience the restaurant like any other normal person would experience the restaurant. Man, I have nothing on top of that was that is I couldn't agree with any of that more. And I know so my publicist, Larry Carino, which we talk about so several times. BCPR, I will say, great roster of clients. And when I was launching the infatuation and we were getting all of our guides together and we were sourcing photos, I worked with BCPR, I think, more than I worked with any other yeah. uh, PR company. Well, Larry, I feel like I have added so many gray hairs to Larry's head and life. I can see that. Because, you know, Nave is a good example. And... It's funny because uh, maybe it ended up biting me in the ass because people need favors to help people out during a pandemic or whatever. But um, during the the opening of Nave, I refused to invite any, you know, food media people to our friends and family. I did invite a couple of people that, you know, are uh, blogger types, but that's because those people are genuinely like, I don't know, I may consider them friends now because they have come so often and they pay so often and they never ask for shit or ever. And there are influencers and bloggers out there who are in it for the right reasons. Yeah, I mean, yes, there's definitely... Not all of them are bad. Mm-hmm. There's great people and there's absolute shit people. And that's just... I think that's just life. But yeah, it's people in, in general. <laughs> yeah, people in general. But in the whole food blogger thing. So I didn't invite any. And, and we talked about it for a long time and I just told him, I said... I. Someone, something needs to break this practice. The practice needs to break. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to do an influencer dinner. You should want to come eat here because it's part of your job. Not because I'm giving you free food. And that's just the reality of it. I need to challenge you. And if you don't like my shit, then you can fucking say it. I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's plenty of people that have come here that are actual paying clients, and they could not love a dish, and I could talk to them about it, and maybe there's something that we need to correct. It is what it is, and that's life. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, me giving you a free meal and then you just telling everyone that it's great to go here, that's not right. Because you know how many times people say to go to a certain place, and the place is not very good? So often. Yeah, and and it's... It's so complicated because I understand from a business perspective, like, it's a business decision. Like, I'm going to spend this much amount of money in free food to create a certain amount of media impressions, and hopefully that drives people to the restaurant. 
but it's not authentic. And from my perspective, as someone who is a journalist, not an influencer, and I draw that line very clearly in the sand, I, it, what it does is it creates... I draw, the, I draw that line clearly in the sand, but most people who are just on Instagram and doing whatever, they don't know the difference necessarily between an influencer and a journalist. Mertz, can you, be fair, can you tell David to lower the music on the North Terrace? We can edit this part out. <laughs> it's all staying in. <laughs> Is this how we edit things out? No, no, you, you have to rub my ball tickler over here. <laughs> <laughs> ball stretchers, now on. It's a fuzzy, fuzzy He's actually stretcher. our fluffer. He's not, he's not really the producer of this thing. And he's doing a great job. He is doing a great All job fluffing. This is, my, this is my dummy for practicing in between, you know, the real goes in your balls. <laughs> <laughs> but back to what I was saying, the... I like how casually he went right back into that after the, I like after the ball, ball fluffing. and fluffing, and he's like, listen, anyways, listen, you're, you're talking to a media professional. I've interviewed porn stars, DJ Khaled. Which porn stars? We'll get into that after, we'll but go on. Let's talk about authenticity. <laughs> What, what that does to the reader, because I think about the reader a lot, the person who is sitting at home wondering where they should take their girlfriend for their anniversary, who right. wants that special experience, they see the influencer getting behind this sh- shitty restaurant that just gave them a bunch of free food. They go there, and then they have a terrible experience, and they say, this is all bullshit, man. Like, none of these people are being honest. None of these people are being authentic. And for better or worse, the general people... In media right now, it's a big, weird stew of influencers and real journalists and newspaper reporters. It's the, the average reader and engager of media. They can't tell the difference between that. So it sows all these this deep mistrust of media that has affected politics, food, every like corner of the industry. And so it really is a bad thing for people and life in general not just specifically restaurants but you know we're talking about restaurants i also think it's a bad thing for restaurants too it the line is so blurred so blurred it's so blurred and it's like uh, i when people ask me all the time it's like tell me about good uh food media in miami in comparison to other cities because I, I and I've said this forever. I think that what hurts us more than anything is that people aren't talking about the real things, and a lot of people are talking about the the blurry line things. Like, mm-hmm. go to this new Tulum inspired bar, right? Yeah. To use your verbiage, um, instead of talking about going to this. Um, fu- I, I have to. I was gonna unpack this when we did our recommendations but instead of going to stanzione to try their new subs and cold cuts like because they're fucking amazing i haven't had one yet but i'm dying to try one they are fucking i've actually been twice in the last week i I, and i don't go out so it's like Mm -hmm. you know they're delicious you know like shit like that like real food real people you know and that's when i get so animated i guess is a good word yeah (laughs) Is that a good word, Nick? Passionate. Passionate? <laughs> animated? Your name's on the sandwich. Yeah. I mean, whatever it may be, I just, I want the good people that are, that like care so much about their food and their restaurant and their patrons, I want them to win. Yeah. And yeah. I want other people like you to want them to win. Mm-hmm. You know? And then it's like, I, then they're like, so who's writing good stuff? And I'm like, I don't, I don't fucking know. I mean, yeah, there's some, for sure. Um, but it's just... 
it's tough. And they're like, oh, well, you know, I saw this on this person's Instagram. And I'm like, stop that. Stop yeah. it. Stop. Yeah. Don't tell me that. Yeah. I mean, there's good people. In the, I'll give a shout out to Carlos Frios, who's an excellent reporter. Zach Faganson, who freelances for the New Times, who I know, too. There's good journalists in here. But, you know, I know these people because I work in media. The average person who just casually Googles every now and then where to eat, like, they can't decipher these nuances. And they shouldn't have to either. Right. So it's just, it's a very weird state of things in media right now. And it has been, I mean, I started at New Times in 2013, which is just the, the 2000s in general have been this like insane time for media where everyone's scrambling to stay alive. And it's just like the end of the Titanic where the boat is sinking and everyone's looking for a raft and not thinking about the long term, just thinking about the immediate self-preservation of the future. And I will say, you know, not that I'm just not trying to get fired, which is also happening, but the infatuation is the first place I've worked that understands what it takes to do real restaurant criticism and gives their writers and editors the platform and the tools to actually do it. Can we talk about this? Because, again, um, and listen, I'm I'm not like blowing smoke up your ass because I really don't care, to be honest. If you never wrote about me again, I'd be like, that's cool. When infatuation came on the scene here in Miami, I was, I am just like I am with everything, super hesitant. Yeah. What is this blue little horn thing? <laughs> what the fuck is this? Right. Mm-hmm. So then, obviously, Larry reached out to me, and I'm like, Larry, what the fuck is this? <laughs> do I need to care about this? Is this real? Like, Listen, I don't... La- Larry's not here. I'm a. I will do Larry's impression of you. <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> Larry does a terrible impression of me. Larry. Larry. <laughs> no, sorry. Larry, what the fuck is this? What the fuck is this blue horn? For some reason, for some reason in Larry's mind, Michael Beltran is a chain-smoking Brooklynite. Yeah, that's a very low. That's like Larry, 80, low that's an eighty-year-old octogenarian. Right, I'm, I'm sitting in a car dealership and I'm smoking a ton of cigarettes. I don't know what the fuck. Who is that guy? In Larry, what the fuck is this blue horn? Yeah, and I'm actually that's a sports Brooklyn? bookie too. Like I don't understand it, but. I told him, and he was like, listen, just do the thing. I think this is a good thing. And, you know, like Larry, I always call him more my consigliere than, like, my publicist because that, that's who I think Larry really is. And um, just – so I did it, and, and then you guys started the Miami, which was uh, – it hasn't been that long, right? It's been about a year and a half, right. give or take, a few months. was right around the time that Chugs opened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So that that's why I remember it. Uh, and then you guys did a photo shoot here and a photo shoot there. And the whole thing. And then you guys started writing stuff. And I'm like, man, this shit is pretty fucking good. Like, this is not, uh, you know, top 10 red lights in Miami or like, you know, fucking top 10 Negronis or here's the best cheese pull you could find in Wynwood. Yeah. And, you know, like, I was like, this is like actual, like, restaurant criticisms and positives and negatives and. You know, like actually good photos and things like that. I was like, this is this is pretty good. And then I, I started to continue. And then I started telling people, I was like, if you really want some kind of like real representation of a restaurant you're about to go to, you should probably go here and check out if they've eaten there and look at the rating that they gave. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I mean, that's very kind of you. And it's exactly what we're trying to do. And it's what attracted me to this job in the first place. I was the first person to apply for this editor job, my bosses told me. They didn't know if I was like insane, like a stalker of the infatuation, or if I actually really wanted it. But I was hungry for that. I was hungry for a place that set me up for success and to do this right. 
Yeah. And we've been trying. I mean, it's just me in Miami right now, so I've been trying. We're right. going to expand soon, hopefully. Um, but it's been a long, hard you know, year and a half of building this up. But I, I will say I've worked in local media for the last seven years. I've never learned more about the city. I've never felt closer to the city than I have like eating as much as possible across right. the city. I think it's the best education that you can give yourself about any city and Miami in particular is just go to as many restaurants as you can in as many different places as you can in as many different neighborhoods as you can and just like soak it in. So, yeah. I, I mean, that's, you know, we're all about trying to give the reader a realistic idea of what they're about to walk into if they go to a restaurant. I think you mentioned uh, a couple of people that I've, I've spoken to a lot and that I, you know, Carlos has written a few things about us that have been very kind. And Zach actually was the person who wrote the first review of Ariette five years ago. Uh, and it was great. And I still read it when I'm having a fucking shit day. Uh, so like there's some out there that are fighting the good fight for the good people. And, it, and it's just, but it's so like, uh, it's over, it's just so over the top, the amount of like blurriness and like shit really of, yeah. And I'll say there's a lot of people who want to do what I'm doing, but the media opportunities, especially the good media opportunities like I have right now, the people who understand what it takes to succeed and will give you that, they are so rare and yeah. they're shrinking. I mean, no media company is getting bigger. They're just getting smaller. I was laid off at New Times for my first job. If I would have stuck around a timeout for another year, I think I probably would have lost my job too. So it's, I think if there were more infatuations out there, which I wish there were, in an ideal world, there's 10 of me in Miami doing my job. Right. If there were more of that, there would be more people doing it. I asked this question to Larry Carino on a nut. Larry keeps coming up here. January 6th. <laughs> Shout right? out to Larry. Larry emailed me. Long Larry long emailed Larry. me about the story yesterday. He liked it. Oh, yeah. And then he sent it to me. He's like, y'all should, you should, you guys should check this out. Huh? <laughs> you really got to look at this. Larry Beltran. Long Island there. Yeah, Beltran, you, you really got to look at this article. <laughs> um, that's, that's, that's you as Larry as you. Is the birth of the influencer the death of true media? You can point to a lot of things. The death of true media. I don't think media is going anywhere. I think it's changing. I think the media was terrible at adapting to the internet. They didn't see it coming. It blindsided them in every way. The internet they, always wins. They waited until the last possible moment to address this elephant in the room that is the internet. And while they were doing that and stumbling over themselves and being inept and, and totally, completely incompetent, the influencer said, hey, this thing called the internet, there's a lot of opportunity here. Right. And we can use this to push our own personal brand. You know, a lot of influencers are former publicists or marketing people, and they're like, these are incredible tools to reach people. And they figured out how to use it before the newspapers did, before the magazines did, before the alt-weeklies did. So that's why they have this giant head start on us and yeah. bigger followings than us, quite frankly. I mean, the Goliath is always slower to move than, than the David, right? Well, yeah. I have, I have questions here. Woo! That's right, because he writes shit, in, too. Didn't you write no, shit for a long time? I wrote shit for a little bit. Did people read Nick that shit or no? about the media landscape. Yeah. I, wrote, I wrote things for a little bit. Um, so I, I had these two questions that I just wanted to make sure we got in before we shifted to porn stars. And I feel like this is a good place. I'm, I love this shift. So, so no, well, before, before we shift there, you, you, can, you can lead that shift. 
So um, we, we've been talking about influencers for a while, mm-hmm. and I'm curious to know what your thoughts are, given that you're in the position that you're in. How much of the problem, broadly speaking, of the influencer would be solved with some transparency? And by that I mean Mike and I see the, the influencer thing a little differently. Where I, Me and Nick see so many things differently. It's not that you many could things. fucking fill up a vault it's, with that it's, shit. It's not that many things. My my issue is uh, that the influencer, wittingly or not, ends up basically playing basically playing the role of a shyster. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean that so often there is that transactional aspect of it that the consumer of the media, right on social media, whatever it might be, is at least not hyper-conscious of the way that there would be if you had something like an advertorial in a magazine or a website. Yeah. Uh, and so I wonder, in, in your view, and maybe we're speculating a little bit here, how much of that would be solved if, by some mechanism, whatever it might be, right, maybe it's just being called out a significant number of times and changing your practices or whatever it might be, how much of that might be addressed if there were just more explicit acknowledgement of this was a transaction. This was the result of some kind of a transaction of food or money for exposure. And at that point, these influencers become because the term influencer sort of blurs the line between the the journalism and really what they are, which is a, a one man or one woman marketing agency. Yeah. Here's the difference between what journalists do and what influencers do. If I suggest a restaurant and the reader readers plural go to it and hate it. I lose my job. The influencers suggest a restaurant and they're getting paid to put it on their page. They couldn't give a shit about your experience there. They already got paid. I had no idea how to do this job. I had no idea. I'd never went to journalism grad school or anything. I got into the New Times. I got around people who kind of knew what they were doing. And I slowly started to learn these rules about journalism. Like, hey, you can't no one can pay you to write an article about themselves. Right. You can't like accept free gifts and then write a story about these people. And I slowly learned these lessons. And my job was dependent on le- learning these lessons because if I broke them, I could get fired. Which is the difference here, right? The only Which marketable is... skill I came out of college with was knowing all the shit I wasn't allowed to do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the influencer is loyal to themselves and their own brand. The sure. journalist is loyal to the reader. You have to be an advocate for the reader, and you have to have their best interests in mind. Whereas influencers, some of them certainly have the best interests of the consumer in mind. Some of them are just trying to get paid, which I respect. It's hard to make money on the Internet as someone who's tried to do it for the last seven years. And if it's that's your hustle, go for it. But to your point, Nick, your immediate question, I think a lot of it could be solved by saying, this is a sponsored post. Right. Here it comes. Because, you know, when... Someone posts to their 200,000 followers an Instagram story about how great Barton G is, and they make no mention that it was a paid post. I mean, yeah. it's, it's so confusing for the reader. And then they assume everyone's getting paid to post, and then it just creates this, this massive wave of distrust. So I think a lot of issues could be solved by doing what you just suggested, not all of them. Sure, no. All of them could be solved by <laughs> having a more robust and successful local journalism and national journalism landscape. But unfortunately, that's... And, and it, so just, it, just oh, seems, um, it just seems like um, people are reading less and just looking more. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's a headline reading... Uh, well, not even just headlines, like photos. 
right? Oh, yeah. Photos and, 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 and 15 second videos. A lot of, I mean, some people think the infatuation is like influencers. Thank you, sir. Some people think the infatuation are influencers because we use a lot of the tools that influencers use to reach their audience because they're effective tools like Instagram stories. You just adapt it. Yeah, we adapt, adapt it. and move. But to your point, yeah, most people aren't reading 500-word reviews of restaurants. They're looking at an Instagram story and looking at the food, which is valuable, too, to an extent. But if the person posting that stuff is not being honest with you, then it's just a complete, I mean, it's useless. And it does more damage than good. And you never know if they're really being honest. Yeah. But it's also, and it's more, too, because, like... um, when you need to fix your car, you go to a mechanic, correct? Yeah. I feel like people who write about food, just like – I'll use Nick as an example mm-hmm. here. Nick knows more about cigars than anyone else I know, right? But Nick also wrote about cigars for how long? Seven years. For seven years. For seven years. Yeah. If I have questions about cigars, what am I smoking? How, why does this taste like this? What I go to Nick, mm-hmm. right? It's the same thing I feel like – Somebody who was a publicist in some random company decides that they're going to become an influencer and they've never actually learned anything about good food. How could they – how could I look at them as an authority about good food? Like you're not sending uh, a dog trainer to the moon. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I just – I don't know. That's, I've been doing like this that. for seven years and I just – started to feel like I know what I'm doing kind of and I still have so far to go yeah. and I'm sure you feel the same way about cooking first 10 years of your career you're kind of an idiot just Not wandering even, around for, forget about just the first 10 years every day mm-hmm. I mean every day I learn something new about food that I didn't know yesterday and that's why I surround myself with incredible people that I feel like know more than me yeah you know like if you're building a company that you're supposed to be the smartest guy in the room then you're, you're building a shit company Mm-hmm. Because you're not going to be the smartest guy in the room. There's, uh, there's going to be people that are, in my instance, good at baking bread. There's going to be people that are going to be good at charcuterie. There's going to be good uh, people that are good or proficient at making cocktails. Like, I can't do all of that. And that's just the reality of it. So, well, I, and, I, and I look at uh, subjects that brings up so many, like, things. No, but it's good to have a dialogue about this. Well, I, I mean, yeah, but people don't like the dialogue, too, because people don't like to be called out. I think more people – I mean, I, I cannot overstate how the response from the article I wrote yesterday, the reason why I'm here and why we're talking, was so astronomically bigger than anything I've published this year. I really think that this – see, scams only last so long. People catch on to them, and I think the public is smarter – than a lot of people give them credit for. And I think we're reaching this age where, especially in Miami, people are like, okay, like, this is kind of bullshit. So when it comes to food, there's certain concepts that are that cash grab. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think this is going to fill up my restaurant tomorrow. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Drake in there. I'm going to put uh, Trevor Noah. They're going to be having dinner or lunch together. And then every fuckface... From all around the places that, yeah, they're going to want to go there because yeah. they don't they don't care about what they're eating. They care about the people yeah. that are there. And let's right? be honest, the, the David Grutman model of hospitality that he really pioneered this like pack as many celebrities as you can into a restaurant, get them to post about their Instagram stories, right. and just create this insane tsunami of media attention that is inept. It's like those big cast nets people throw out in the ocean, you know, right. those big long line fishing boats. 
we're going to put our nets through the water and we're going to catch some things we want. We're also going to catch some dolphins and whales and do a lot of harm in the, in right. the, in the process. But we're going to do that. And that's yeah, uh, the philosophy of a lot of restaurants in Miami right now. So here, like uh, Ariet, as she's grown up and she turns five in January, like there's been a lot of evolution. And in that process of evolution... The menu has evolved, it's become more progressive, and it's become more classic, and it's become more technique-driven, it's become a lot of things. And people always tell like, well, people aren't going to eat that. Well, how the fuck do you know? Yeah. If you don't try to feed them that, then you don't know. Mm-hmm. And every time, I wouldn't say every time, I say like maybe 60, 70% of the time, which I feel pretty good about. We put things on the menu, and people are like, no one's going to buy it, and it's one of our top-selling dishes. It's something that, and not only that, it's something that people want to would have wanted to try that they didn't have before and they wanted to do. And it's like, and not just that, it's like properly educating your staff and taking the time to train your staff to understand what you're doing and how much time it takes and why you're doing it. What, how is this connected to you and how is it connected to the restaurant? How is it connected to the city? Why did you choose to do this? And then when you say that to a table and you make them understand that, then they're like, wow, this is totally different. Yeah, the messaging is so important. Right. Like, we have Arro Imperial on our menu. And it is not Arro Imperial from, like, Palacio de los right? But it is my interpretation of that. Mine and my staff's interpretation of it. It changes all the time. It's not a true representation of that. I mean, that dish is fucking super ratchet. You yeah. know, like, we wouldn't do that. But we wanted to elevate it. You know why? Because it's so connected to the city. And we wanted to continue to do that. So, in my mind, I keep on seeing, like, all the tuna tartars and the things and the stuff and the, you know, like, all. And it's just infuriating to me because, just like your article stated, people are scared to be who they are because they think they need to be something else in order to make money. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I Like, and I'll say this. I don't, maybe I'll have to edit this out. But in the five years that we've been open... I have never made a dollar of profit off this restaurant. Not mm. one time. And I did that because of the constant evolution of it. Better staff, better people, better product, better things. And I wanted to tell a story about the city. And I wasn't scared to do that. Yeah, you know, you evolve and we have other things and other things happen. And life has been, I've been super blessed. But you got to be willing to take that risk. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I know it's frustrating. I know it seems like a dogfight every time you come into work and try and make that happen. But I really do think there are more people than you realize in the city who appreciate that and who are hungry for that and maybe don't quite know yet. And that's our job as, as the media to let them know what's happening here. I, you know, One of the things that happened when I was at the infatuation is before the pandemic, we kind of pulled back from this when the pandemic started because it didn't seem appropriate or right to do. But we did a lot of negative reviews of very popular restaurants. And more, I remember more than people, I read them all more than people telling me to go fuck myself were people <laughs> in the DMs like, hey, thank you for saying this. Like, I thought I was crazy. Like, I went here and like, I hated it. Like, people have been so appreciative of the honesty. I really think there is a big public need and will for just honesty because people feel like it's you know like 19 it's george orwell man it's just this like massive misinformation campaign every time you swipe on your phone i think people are really hungry for that 
And I think the people that care about that will eventually find you and seek you out. But I know that, you know, can be frustrating to your business no, I mean, because there's no. more people, it seems sometimes, going to the bad places. That I, I, I actually, for, for me personally, I'm, I feel super fortunate because people mm-hmm. come here. Yeah. And it's, I, I know a lot of other people that they're, I think that their restaurants are great and their food is great and that not as many people go there, mm-hmm. especially now and this year. Yeah. Um, so, like, for us, I'm, I, feel, I feel blessed. You know, like, that the gamble and the roll of the dice has worked. Yeah. You know, like, there's people that come here and there's people that come here every week, twice a week, uh, once a month, whatever it may be. And it's because what they always tell me is, like, man, you know, the menu always changes. There's always, like, new. There's, like, a local thing, and there's this, and there's a farm. And I, I learned about this farm that was in West Palm Beach, Swank Farms, that I had never heard of before, and blah, blah, and this and that. They do a farm share, and it's, like, it's all interconnected. And that's what people don't understand is that as a community, the more you promote community and other people around here, the better the community will be. And it's hard to convey that in a soundbite or a tweet or an Instagram post. I'll say that... Um, I had not been to Ariette before I started this job. People kept telling me about it, and everyone who told me about it, I was kind of like, wait, what is this place? Like, everyone told me something a little different. It's this, it's that. I'm like, wait, like, wait, fine dining? Or like, but they have Frida's and like a cheeseburger. (laughs) But like, wait, like, I just couldn't get a straight story. So I came here like kind of suspicious. I was like, what the fuck is this place? I I like that, I like it. And I looked at the menu and I was like, this dude is like, swinging for the fences here like what's going on and then the food hit the table and i you know the service was excellent i mean from the second you walk into ariette like i've never encountered hospitality like it i when i the first time i left dinner at ariette there was like a wave of people who said good night to me like i lost count of how many people said good night to me thank you for coming i'll see you again big difference was they meant it when they said good night it was coming from an authentic genuine place and this was the hardest, this review that I wrote for Ariette was, it went through the most edits with my editor because I couldn't even, I had trouble articulating what I liked about this restaurant to my editor. He was like, he also had the same reaction that I had that was like, wait, what is this place? Because at first I wrote this review that was like, this is the, like Miami, like maturing into itself. This is like the city, the new generation, like the, and I was writing all these like big heady ideas about how. Yeah. This is like this is Miami. People ask what Miami is. Like this is it. And he was like, Yeah, but I don't understand what it's like to eat here. So we eventually pared it down to language that was sort of easier to understand. But it's a difficult sell, and that's the uphill battle that you and people yeah. like you, and there's a lot of them in the city, are fighting. That it's not neat, it's not sexy yeah. to pursue a passion project and to put your soul into it and to have like a creative drive and to constantly be changing and evolving so it right. doesn't stay consistent too. Well, I, I have the same struggle <laughs> and it's it's when people ask me like so what what is the food and I'm like I, I don't know it's my food. Yeah. You know, like it's the best way I articulate it to people it's like you're hanging out at my house we're listening to my music I'm talking to you about my food and then you're eating my food. Yeah. And this is the first time in my career that I'm fortunate enough that I have so many people that believe in the idea. Mm -hmm. Like, they believe in the thing. Like, for a long time, I told the story, I think, to this guy. This is my chef's cuisine, man. Like, there was a time when I was working saute for, like, a a straight year that everyone on the line was an ex-con. 
Like I know, like with the, the it was so hard to find staff that believed in like the, the thing and like mm-hmm. believed in the working hard and the whole stuff. Yeah. And it's like because also I don't come to the table with like I'm, I don't have a name like Michael Schwartz or Nor Van Aken or even a lot of the other guys in the city. But I'm gonna make you work very hard, you know, and for so long and even now we're five years deep it's like so so tell me about the food it's cuban food i'm like no it's not cuban food mm-hmm. so what is it i'm like well you know it's a it's a representation of miami's food it's like what does that mean i'm like i don't know you gotta come eat <laughs> like i don't know how else to tell people it's hard i go through the same every time i try and write about ariette it's like you know in the article that came out yesterday the tulum one i had just a line where i was going through sort of a bullet point of restaurants that made me feel really special and and gave me that Miami feeling and I, I said it's the past said area is the past present and future of Miami Cuban cuisine which is sort of true but also not the complete truth it's just like you kind of have to come here and experience it which is what I end up sort of just telling people when I talk about this restaurant just like just go just go yeah the, the hard part about like labeling it Cuban food mm-hmm. is that it's it's food through my eyes and I grew yep. up here and then I, I spent five years in Virginia and I've been fortunate enough to have friends and, and former bosses that, you know, are from New York or from the West Coast. And so I have a lot of, like, different influences. But really the truest thing is that we try to use what the city provides us to build our menu. Mm-hmm. I think the summertime is always the best representation of that because it's the time that people say it's the hardest to cook locally because everything is tropical fruit driven. And I think actually that's the best opportunity to show who we are and who you are because you have jackfruit it's like oh what do you do with jackfruit i don't do something with jackfruit i don't know like you got to figure it out i can't tell you (laughs) i think this year was like one of the best summer menus that we had the mamega spacho the jackfruit carpaccio like things like that the malanga soup like those things we had starfruit gazpacho for a while also like those things to me they it's not it's not about the restaurant alone it's about the city you know like miami and where it's going don't be mad because people on the West Coast have incredible produce. The reason why I love Jeremy Fox so much is because he really like doubles down on the locality of where he's at. And mm-hmm. I and I was fortunate enough to like have a conversation with him and thank him so much because his book and the way that he cooks influenced me so much. Because I was like I, I, I fell into that trap for a long time, like, oh man, you know like the it, summer were fucked. Mm-hmm. And then I started reading his book, and then I, I started communicating with him, and I was like, man, I've had this wrong the whole time. The whole time. This is actually an opportunity to showcase more of who we are as a city. Yeah. You just got to figure it out. Which is so important. And, you know, I, it's a lot of people don't realize how much we grow I'm reading, while I was writing this piece, I was reading this story, or this book, thank you so much, by Mandy Baca that I quote in um, the piece, it, the sizzling and history, the, <laughs> the sizzling history of Miami cuisine, and she's a local, born and bred Miamian food historian, and she writes about from the Tequesta Indians, you know, up oh. to pretty much present day. And there's so many interesting things that we used to eat and grow in South Florida, and I encourage everyone to take a drive out to Homestead and yeah. look at all those farms. We have food. We have produce, and so few restaurants are thinking of really interesting ways to use that. And right. that's why you see all these 
bullshit ass like menu items on these restaurants like you know the branzino and the tuna tartare it's like that's great but like you're aware so so triggering for me i know i'm sorry to say that word but it's just like you know we live next to an ocean right and there's like a lot of delicious things and local fishermen who catch amazing things and it's 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 always strikes me it's just like we had i mean i don't know i used to one of my former roommates was a farmer chris french down in french farms oh, in french farms well, i buy i buy their stuff through Margie. Yeah, chris is great and his his partner tiffany at um little river co-op is yeah. fantastic too and i lived with him for a year and i watched him get up at 4 a.m yeah drive down to homestead we lived in buena vista at the time and work his ass off to yep. grow produce and it was a struggle you yep. know he had to fight to sell every single head of lettuce <laughs> correct and it's amazing to me that more restaurants aren't doing it i don't it, is it too expensive is it just I mean, yeah, not there's, sexy there's, there's a price attached to it but i always think it's more of a mental thing and i'll tell you that for me as we've grown it's uh become a challenge for me to try to coach my younger chefs how to understand not to manipulate but the farmer you need to communicate with them yeah you need to communicate with them hey so the eggplant great how long is that on the menu Mm -hmm. like how long are you going to grow this yeah what is the the lifespan of this four months cool so i have this dish for four months Mm -hmm. it's much much more work for the chef yeah i imagine because it's much easier to say i'm gonna buy arugula from uh fucking a produce company that comes mm-hmm. in a bag that's eleven dollars that will die after thirty six hours in the walk in than buying arugula that you then need to clean, then you need to you, it's more work. Yeah. And not just that, like I need to find a place for it, how long is it gonna be in season? There's a lot more steps to it. The consistency aspect of it is also a thing. If it rains a lot, if it's too cold, if it there's a lot to it. Get a hurricane or a cold, you know, a cold snap. A hundred percent. There's what it comes down to, honestly, is laziness. Mm-hmm. And and I, I I think that's wrong of me to say. It's not laziness. If you choose to make this decision in your life as a chef to use local produce, and that's not everyone's thing. Everybody wants to be a kitchen. You know, people want to be a kitchen manager. They want to be given recipes. They want to execute. They want to work. They're 10 hours a day, eight hours a day, make their 120 grand a year, and they want to go home and they want to have their two days off. And then there's the other people that are much more, uh, I guess, I don't know, just like adamant about this. I was adamant about this because this is the way Norman taught me how to cook. I was adamant about this, and it got reinforced when I worked for Michael. Mm -hmm. So it was never an option for me. It was never like I I had no other way of thinking so you know I think for some people they don't want to deal with the stress of it they don't want to do they know that they can get a, a box of arugula or a box of gem lettuce or you know a case of beets that are 20 bucks from a produce company that they're getting their beets from another part of the world yeah and it's always going to be the same beet it's gigantic it doesn't taste like anything and that's what they get mm-hmm. but People still buy it. Yeah. The right thing to do is almost always the hardest thing to do. For sure. <laughs> and it's interesting you say that you learn these things from Norman and Michael, who I have a lot of respect for. And I think there is a wave that they created. You know, one of my favorite new restaurants in Miami is Rosie's. I don't know if you've had a chance to go. Aquino. Aquino. Michael Sort's alumni. Yeah. 
and you know, I'm sure there's a lot of the Michael Swartz family tree and the Norman Van Aken family tree is like uh, they're spread out through Miami now, and there's a lot of them who are trying to do what you're doing and do the right things. And I think the revert. I know it's hard to see this far into the future, especially now, but I think you're gonna have that too. The Ariette, you know, ripple effect of the chefs that you've preached this to, and you've, you know, just told them the importance of doing this and they buy into that right they're here too what worries me is are they going to have the opportunity to open up their own restaurant and this goes actually goes back to the last podcast that you just listened to which was zach one yeah um and we talked a lot about the business side Mm -hmm. understanding the business side how to be better prepared for the business side of negotiating of working with landlords of understanding how to raise capital it's like there's a lot of that because again i've been very blessed so like i walked into this situation five years ago and i kind of fumbled around into being very lucky Mm -hmm. you know um and then i i learned the very hard way Mm -hmm. because i may have learned how to run a kitchen but i didn't learn how to run a business and i'm fortunate enough that people taught me those things you know so like i think that's that's where affording the opportunity is and when i talk to the the younger side i tell them like you need to learn this side of it and Mm -hmm. i'm i'm willing to teach you because i i know you're not going to be here forever and i want you to leave here and be prepared for the next thing quick story michael schwartz a lot of people have opinions about michael i love michael very much I think that he's an incredible person. He's done incredible things for me. And when I told him that I was leaving to open up my own restaurant, he said, let's sit down and unpack that. I want you to explain what that means. And I want you to tell me what you think, and then I'm going to tell you what I think, and then I'm going to help you with what you don't know. Mm-hmm. He he got me a lawyer, pretty much. He did a lot of things for me that a lot of people wouldn't have done. you know. And that's why... For the people that leave here, I always tell them, hey, whatever you need, if you're going to open up your own thing, come talk to us. We can review things with you. This is obviously, we don't want any money. Mm-hmm. We'll help you review things. We'll look over leases. We'll talk to our lawyer. They could do some things for you, like whatever you want. Because going back to your point, other people, like the ripple effect, a lot of Norman and Michael people, uh, chefs, front of the house people around the city. The reason why New York and Chicago and the West Coast is what they are is because they've been around for so much longer. Such a young city. We're so young. So the Normans, the Michaels, the Michelles, those people, like, they bred some more, and then now our job is to breed some more. Mm -hmm. And then their job is to breed some more. And that's how you create a food culture that it can be around for 100 years. Yeah. And that's why we don't need any more Tulum-inspired restaurants. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, I do know what you're saying. And what worries me is, like, do we... I mean, one thing that was remarkable this year, and I wrote a guide about it, is, like, all these sort of... A lot of people lost their jobs this year, or temporarily lost their jobs. And we saw a lot of, like, hospitality people go to their apartments and literally, like, start these takeout operations, like, from their own homes. Like, I think of Ben Mee. Like, I had, I ordered their Bon Mee one time. 
best banh mi I've ever had. Yeah. Lil Lao started as that too. Um, Ori Bake Shop is like Helen Kim is running a fantastic bakery out of her kitchen. And Zitsum as well. Zitsum. Lovely. Shout out Zitsum. And they're opening up a restaurant. That's soon. right. He and was just here yesterday. Just such an incredible I, human. If all those people could get the opportunity that Zitsum is getting, I think we're going to be one of the most exciting, dynamic young cities in the world. I right. think it's up to... And I, you have more insight into this than I do. I don't know the business side of this, but I just really want to plead with like these landlords and developers to like look into their soul and take a chance on these people and give them the benefit of the doubt and give them a good deal. And like Metro One and Thor Equities, whatever the hell they are, like these people buying entire neighborhoods in Miami, like look into your like. Do you need a third boat? Or do you want to actually create something that's cool and that's right. Miami and that's sustainable and that's delicious and fascinating? Like, And that's the struggle that Miami's been fighting for a long time and not just recently. I think, and I agree with you, but I will add to that, mm-hmm. the person, it takes a certain amount of uh, being uncomfortable to go and open your own operation. Absolutely. It takes so you, much you, risk. You, you need to be okay with one failure, two, not making as much money as when you go to work for a hotel or another established company mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. Because, you know, like, you need to sacrifice. Yeah. And, and I think the longevity is in the sacrifice. And that's, I always go to like the short con and the long con, right? Like, you know, these people that are opening Tulum inspired restaurants, and we'll just keep on using that term. <laughs> yeah, it's a good catch all for no, the I kind know. of well, restaurant just, we're talking about. It encompasses about. why we're here, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, those people, and, and I go back to Schwartz because he told me this and it stuck with me forever. He was like, when you open up a restaurant, you have two options. You could be a flash in the pan, or you could be a hard sear. It's totally up to you. And he's like, you know, those flash in the pans are there. They're hot for six months, and then they fucking disappear, and they close in 18 months. And that's part of why the culture and the failure rate of restaurants is so high. Or you can build something that's more about ingraining yourself into a community and for the guest and always being there for the guest and understanding that the guest is the most important. They may not, not always be right, but the most important because you want to get them back. And that's, that's the thing. Like those, those are the things you need to understand that the long con is the thing. It's not about a short lease. It's about a fucking long lease Mm -hmm. and it's about a long lease that is good, you know? Yeah. But it's also, I imagine about your own personal constitution and like how much bullshit you can take and kind of business decisions and, and all this other stuff too. It's just, and I, I consider myself again blessed because i have an incredible partner his name is andrew he's fucking super talented at what he does Mm -hmm. and he takes he has taken so many things off of my plate if you will things that i'm not good at things that i've learned a ton about and that i'm more proficient at but it's what he does Mm -hmm. a lot of people are like i want to own 100 percent of my business i'm like man you know sometimes 60 percent or 70 percent is better than fucking zero percent and that's the reality of it. Yeah. And I, I've always been a team person. So if a team is on the ownership side or on the cooking side or on the prep side or whatever it may be, it's a team game. And to be successful, you need a team to be successful. And that's like the true thing for young entrepreneurs. And I'm still young, I think. And, you know, like uh, there's so many people like me. I tell them, like, get 
ask for help. Mm-hmm. And the ones that usually are more successful are the ones that ask for help, receive that help, and put it into play. Yeah. And that's like landlords, you can ask, you can plead with them. You can ask them. You can say, hey, man, help me out here. They don't give a fuck. What they care about is a lawyer saying, hey, we need to change this line here. We need to change that line here. We need to change that line here. That's what they care about. They don't mm-hmm. give a fuck about anything else. The heartfelt landlord thing is super rare. <laughs> super rare. It's They're capitalists and, and they want to make money. But it is. it strikes me as putting – it's such a rare combination of personality traits to be able to, one, have the creative – drive and the passion for cooking that is a hard job anywhere whether you're working the lion at ihop or whether you're here and ihop's got sick pancakes yeah i love ihop man no disrespect to ihop stan ihop so hard um but to have that and also to have this business wherewithal it's just like it's a lot it's a lot and it's hard and you might not make any money and it just has to come from such a place of passion so the person who has to do that they're rare they're so rare and they have to get lucky too on top of their talent oh yeah yeah and miami in particular i don't have a ton of experience in other cities writing about their scenes and i don't know what the business is like in other cities but it just strikes me in miami is it's just there's just it's like donkey kong just getting barrels thrown at you constantly and i just I like that reference donkey i would just kong? love for it to be easier yeah, <laughs> for yeah. good restaurants to succeed well we've gone on a tangent isn't that right nick we've gone on a tangent is that something we don't do around here <laughs> <laughs> is that I, I just on podcast mission statement yeah pcp this is a no tangent zone no it's a tangent it's a tangent zone we're we're three pandagronies in. I'm three pandagronies. I'm just in. shocked we haven't gotten to the porn yet. To so the what? The porn. <laughs> oh, the porn. We can pivot anytime you. No, let, no, we're about to pivot. We need to talk about you and your your story and and uh, you went to Florida State, which I won't judge you on. FSU. I yeah no. It's I, okay. I, I know we're in Kane Country. Yeah, I grew up in Fort Lauderdale, which you can also judge me for. <laughs> no, I mean honestly, I'm I'm more okay with Fort Lauderdale than FSU, but it's fine as long as you're not a Gator, we're totally good. Yeah, we can all agree we hate UF. We can all agree. That the Gators are not the, the way. The worst people. One time I was at an FSU game <laughs> at Doak, and I was people. very drunk. And what? There was, you were at a game and you were drunk? There were these shocking. There were these two old, older, in their 50s, UF fans, and something bad happened in the game. And I shouted out, Jesus Christ. And the old UF fan turns around to me and he says, hey, buddy, say what you want about the Gators, but you leave the Lord's name out of this. <laughs> I think that's such a perfect encapsulation. When at FSU, here's a here's a true FSU anecdote. When we were playing UF, talk as much shit as you want. But when UM was coming to town, you mind your P's and Q's because right. they will beat the ever loving shit out of you. <laughs> I was so I I, um, <laughs> I went to a UM UF game in which we lost at UF. And I just, I always felt it's like a prerequisite uniform for all UF fans. It's the Hollister shirt, the blue Hollister shirt with the, the, the up with the, and then the chancletas and the really short shorts. It's like a prerequisite. The jorts. They love jorts too. Jorts. And that they always talk shit to you from at least 40 yards away. <laughs> yeah. And when you get closer, we're like, no, bro, everything's fine. We're all very bohemian here. It's all okay. One time I was at an ATM in Gainesville while I was in college for a game, and this UF guy just like mows into me, like tackles me, and then just runs away. It's a very strange culture. It's a very strange culture there. It's weird. I get it. I'll I'll say this. As a Kane fan through and through, like 
I'm okay with FSU winning as much as they can. But the Gators, if they win 0-10 every year, I'd be super happy. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I root for the Canes, honestly. I'm not like a fucking dedicated college football fan. I think they should pay their athletes, honestly. But That's a I, whole That's a whole thing. Let me ask you. This is good. We, we, we've actually talked about this before on the podcast. Do you think that they should pay their athletes X amount even though they're not paying for school? Yes, because they're asking them to risk their literal health for this football game. I played football two years in college. Oh, yeah? It was – Two oh, years no, I'm FS- sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. College? No, high school. High school. Come on. It's just, you <laughs> I know. never made it to varsity. But that alone was so hard. I mean, you can get – the fact of football is you can get very seriously injured on the field. And, you know, death happens on the football field. It's very rare. But – What's more happening in the research that comes out with football, we see that it can take years off your life and you can have nagging injuries that that plague you your entire life. So we really are asking these young athletes who are practicing and playing as much as professional athletes during the season to really risk their bodies. I I lived it mm -hmm. and I I feel it and I I think about it often. I just – my thing is I I totally fucked off a college education because I I did very little school at all in my four years there Mm -hmm. i played a lot of football and i enjoyed it very much um but you know you're being asked to play a a kid's game and it's something that it really you do love it up until you start getting paid for it when you start getting paid for it it's a completely different thing and we've talked we talked about it with joaquin and we talked about it with brett like it, it changes when you start getting paid now those kids they're getting a free education and a lot of them won't make it to the league. Most of them won't. Yeah. Right. A lot of them won't make it to the league, but they're getting a free education, which is something that regular people, if you have a regular GPA, don't get afforded. And th- that's my thing. And this is coming from a college athlete, right? Like I, I played football, and I played football because I loved football. I didn't – there's no other fucking reason on the planet I would go to Danville, Virginia in my life mm-hmm. other than to play football. Yeah. But to think about the fact that, you know – we want to pay these kids, pay them more than 500 bucks a month, but to pay them like hundreds of thousands of dollars there, it's, it's going to change a lot. And I I think, I don't know. I think it just muddies it. One of the most beautiful things about college football in comparison to pro football is the purity of it. The fact that they're playing because they love the game and they're trying to make it to the next level. This is my opinion. Yeah. I think those are some valid points. I think what rubs me about it is that they're making millions so oh, yeah. much money 100%. for the university and the coaches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I just I'm all for sharing a slice of the pie. Mm. Especially when it you know, when your job is is, you know, risking your ligaments and your yeah, tendons no, and your brain. <laughs> I have six concussions, four of which were in college, and I totally understand. I get it. I I just I think that it will change the college game so much. And I worry about that. Yeah, it would. I mean, you'd have this econ- you'd have this situation where like six schools are like the best forever, and then the rest forever. Of them, yeah, like forever in a day. And I get mm-hmm. it. I think what just to add to this, the thing that too seldom I think gets brought up is the prohibitions on making money outside of your college play uh-huh. itself. That's true. That's true. like the fact that you can't get paid to be a counselor at a football summer camp or whatever sport you're in is what I think is even more bananas. Because you could make the argument that uh, maybe if the schools had the option, you chose to go to a school that wouldn't pay you. But the fact that you can't... There was a kid, I forget what school, it might have been UCF. There was a kid at UCF, a kicker, who uh, I think was suspended by the NCAA because he was in the YouTube partner program 
<laughs> with videos of his workouts, <laughs> which is just nuts to me. Yeah, I think there could just be a more of a common sense look at the situation and, and being like, hey, how can we compensate people for this? But again, my, my football experience tops out at JV in Cardinal Gibbons High School. Shout out to Coach Davis. <laughs> what are we going to unpack next? I feel like we have such a good conversation going on. What are we unpacking? I'm still waiting for the porn. Porn stars. Tell me about these porn stars that you interviewed oh with the New Times. So the article I wrote yesterday got a lot of pages, but to this day, the most makes sense. <laughs> the most viewed article I've ever written was at the Broward New Times. Do you remember Exotica? Of course. It used to come to town every year. <laughs> of course. They, they don't come to town anymore? Oh, I, well, not in their pandemic. Maybe they still do. Nothing comes to town during a pandemic, but they'll make a comeback. Come <laughs> no, on. Exotica, it's two days. South Florida. If anything is going to make a comeback. It's going to be Exotica, right? And we used to write these lists like the 10. Or they asked me to write this list because they knew it was a page view juggernaut, like the 10 best porn stars coming to Exotica. Oh, and man. I wrote it, and every week it got like 20,000 page views, and it would snowball and it was like the 20,000 like the number views. one thing on my google analytics but we ended up going there and i did interview a couple porn stars and they were perfectly wonderful nice people it was a fun time porn stars are wonderful people i'd rather interview porn stars than celebrities yeah any day i agree week. i agree i i i think that what can you uh let's unpack which porn stars which were your two top porn stars that you interviewed? The one that I remember really interviewing, I forget her name, but she was like in her 60s. <laughs> and we Guilty. went, that was back in the days when like we would just bring a video camera to places and try and do like video content back when like publications <laughs> thought that was going to be like the next big thing. <laughs> it's still on the internet somewhere. As we record these videos. So, <laughs> hey. No, video content, good video content is still, is still good, but. That's right. However... It, <laughs> dark back patio <laughs> video content not, not so good it, it's yeah. at exotica from, it was actually this happened before i got to the new times but about i think a year before i landed at the new times they had gone on one of their random exotica trips and they had brought um a cameraman along with them and they filmed a young woman who was getting a tattoo on her butthole and they uploaded it. They uploaded it to YouTube under like Butthole Tattoo Girl, and she gave a very interesting interview. And it ended up going like super viral, millions and millions of views. So the company was like, "We've got to go to Exotica now. We've got to be Love there." With millions the of views, Butthole Tattoos. And, Way to take one for the team. You know, a metaphor for media, unfortunately, <laughs> is that the good the good stuff doesn't necessarily get views, but Butthole Tattoo Girl will get uh, is a 60, page view juggernaut. Sixty year old butthole tattoo girl <laughs> i loved interviewing um you know porn stars of sex work is real work and uh porn is a legitimate industry and they were very nice people who were happy to talk to me i man this is good i love this so nick what do you think's next uh, you're supposed to that's produce as, the that's show. as far no okay production is you're the interviewer that's as far as you I could know. take butthole tattoos <laughs> That's all the mileage we I got wasn't out of that. Personally, there for the butthole tattoo girl incident. That was I just you. heard about it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it was well, a very millions of views. It was a very new time story. I got to tell you, I've gotten such a slew of uh, DMs of people who disagree and hate me for the things that I say. Really? So, oh man, such a slew of them. Interesting. I'll show you the DMs that I get, which I think are people who agree with you, and I think there are a lot more people who agree with you when you say these things. Then it's to- it's totally fine. I'm okay with people agreeing with me and hating me. It's totally cool. Yeah. I just uh, when we started doing this podcast, whatever sixty, whatever episodes ago. I mean, this is a form of media. I would never pretend to do what 
you do or what Nick has done in the past. I just talk a lot of shit for like an hour and a half. That's pretty much. <laughs> You're my... a good interviewer. <laughs> That's a strong statement. You, you've and you've <laughs> got you've gotten <laughs> better. Is, have, well, you know what? This is nice. Thanks, guys. That's I've very been nice. interviewing people for seven years, and uh, you're good. You're I've hardly of... said anything. I, I used to have to fucking interject all the time. That's not. True. I like. I like. Let's it go back way. to past episodes. See how much Nick content. There <laughs> okay. Is there. <laughs> <laughs> it, listen. It also all depends. One of those ask Mike questions. Yes. Thing was what would I do if I didn't do this? To, to give some context, later this month we're going to do uh, our last episode of the year will be Nick the producer, we're, we're collecting we're collecting questions and we'll do a whole episode of just it's, it'll be a little bit of like an AMA style. I'm going to submit a couple. Yeah, there you go. Oh yeah, submit them all. Yeah, one, that's where the thing. Well, about one the, of the things was the what, what would I do the dick sandwich? Yeah. What would I do <laughs> other than cook? And the only thing I wanted to go to college for was to do radio. And I, and I actually did. I tried to do radio in college, right? But I was always so hungover, right? Because I would I would have to call like a game, like a baseball game, or like a basketball game, and I knew nothing about college basketball because I actually hate college basketball. I I like NBA bas- like pro basketball, but and I was like here in the second quarter, I'm like this is the second half. <laughs> There's only two halves. I'm like fuck yeah. Here in the second half, you know, like I was just totally fucking it up because I was always super hungover. So. I tried doing radio in college, and it was just a huge failure because it wasn't like for anything other than to make 25 bucks to call a game. Yeah. Um, and it was just like radio was the only other thing I would have wanted to do. But mm-hmm. more like our our, our, uh, our buddy there, Dan Lebitard, like that kind of radio, like that's that's my kind of radio. Yeah, just did a big old deal with Spotify, didn't he? Did he? Is that where he's going other so. than... Uh, I might be talking shit. I feel like I saw something on Twitter about him doing something. Well, he's leaving was... ESPN after 21 years with ESPN. Mm. And me personally, I actually haven't listened to Dan in a long time. Mm-hmm. Because I don't. I, I live four blocks from the restaurant. So I just... I literally... It, it takes me a minute and a half to get here. So I don't listen to talk radio yeah, anymore. I don't have time for podcasts. Yeah, I don't, I don't listen to this either. <laughs> but, I, but thanks for listening if you do listen. But um, it's just the whole, like... Him leaving ESPN is a huge deal. I remember when he first started with ESPN and it changed from like the local thing and to the ESPN and how it would change the whole dynamic of it. So him leaving was a big deal. And I and I get that. So that's where I leave that. Okay. <laughs> I think your your career in radio is not yet done, my friend. I think you're <laughs> I don't you're launching that. on a successful if We don't get some ads here soon. Join <laughs> hey, Patreon. Hey, there are mugs. <laughs> I'll buy an ad on Panacon Podcast. But yeah. I'll, I'll try and convince the infatuation No, get, get on, uh, team. T- tell them to go uh, get, uh, for a buck a month on Patreon. Can I ask I'm you a question? Patreon. I heard a rumor about infatuation. Yes, sir. And go I just ahead. want to know if it's true or not. Did infatuation buy Zagat? Oh, yeah, that's not a rumor. That's like a confirmed fact. We okay. bought Zagat. By the way, I learned this when I joined the infatuation. It's pronounced Zagat. Yeah, Zagat. But we bought that Which, about three-ish years ago does anyone from... I I'll take another one, sure. One more hand of groaning, you sir. I'll have whatever. Is it what? What have I been drinking? James Pepper. Okay, we've been giving you the cheapest shit. That's out what of the I want. Possible. I want to make sure. I want to make sure that's what I'm drinking. Yeah, I'll take another. Thanks. Last round, promise. We're done here. <laughs> we bought Zagat three years ago, and we're actually doing some really cool things with it. We have a great editor over there called Chris Mahoney, and he's the concept behind Zagat. 
there's a lot that's going to happen with Sagat, but we're doing an editorial side of Sagat called Sagat Stories, where essentially... I heard about this. I we this. are talking to chefs and sort of doing as told... Do you know the Players Tribune? Yes. Yeah, so we're trying to do that with chefs, essentially. Giving them a platform to sort of just speak. We do what's called as told by interviews, where we'll do a big interview with the person, and then we kind of take their exact words, we do some editing, edit out like the ums and ands and try and make it more of a cohesive piece. And we just put their exact words on the page. And up top it says, you know, by Mike Beltran as told to Ryan Pfeffer. Um, so, I yeah, there's some really cool stories. They just did a really great end of year package too. They're talking to big names and also little names and local people. And Was infatuation, because uh, I obviously didn't hear about infatuation. I had heard little things but until it came to miami yeah, until it it's like, in your town you don't really know about it was it bigger than zagat zagat because like i always knew zagat as like previously yeah as like okay you buy a bunch of zagat books and then you'll be in zagat that's how i knew it mm-hmm. previously yeah i didn't have a lot of relationship with, i knew about zagat before i worked in infatuation they were huge at one point and then huge, google yeah. bought them and then they kind of google just sat on it not really knowing what to do with it i think and that's when Google tried to sell it, and uh, and we saw it, and we saw, I think, how important of a brand it was to a lot of people in the restaurant yeah. industry. And I think the our you know co-founders were really optimistic about what they could do with that, and how could they, how they could bring that into the next generation right. and really make it important again. So that's what they're trying to do right now, and I think they're doing a great job. And now I've I've that was the question I had the whole time, and I just <laughs> asked it. So you blew your load right there. I did blow my load always, but usually it's early and now it's been late. So that's pretty good for me. No, good job. Um, in my in my uh, interview research, which is very short. Oh wow! Yeah, I looked up what infatuation says about you. So tell me about the part about the manatee in your small. Uh, you're going to have to remind me because I wrote that bio. <laughs> and it's, it's a good one. And it's literally like five sentences long. And it's like when Ryan was like 11, a manatee popped out of nowhere. And oh, yeah. It scared shocked. the ever-living poop out of me. I grew up in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> at, in, I grew up on Middle River. Very fortunate to grow up on a canal in Fort Lauderdale. And one time I was kayaking there. And a manatee surfaced about three feet from my kayak and i was like seven and i'd never seen a manatee in the wild before and when you first see a manatee out on the water they're fucking huge and you're like this is a animal that wants to hurt me and i thought it was a just all these irrational thoughts went through my head and to illustrate how little i've changed throughout the years i have a paddleboard right now i live in mimo and i am very fortunate to also live on a little canal that leads into biscayne bay i was out there this morning beautiful day 50 degrees not a boat out on the water Middle of Biscayne Bay, just soaking in the city, taking it in. Beautiful. But I get back, and right at the mouth of my canal to where Biscayne Bay hangs out, there's about four, I think they're black tip sharks. They kind of generally hang out in that area. I've seen them before, but they've gotten a lot bigger over the last year. And one of them, I think they were feeding. They were just kind of hanging out in this current and waiting for fish. And one of them jumps out completely breaches the water and goes back down about three feet from my kayak and i let out a sound <laughs> that i have not i didn't even know i was capable Can you do it? Can you i was do like it? Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> and i started paddling thank god it was like 8 30 and no one was outside i 
almost needed a new bathing suit. We're going to save that sound and use it a lot on Please this podcast. Sample it. Oh, sample man. it like you did with the Zach podcast. That is good. Oh, you know, like, sure. pad- paddle boarding. What is it? You stand on the board and you paddle? Stand on the board, you paddle. I was skeptical of paddle boarding until I got a paddle board. I was like, why wouldn't you just kayak? It's easier. Oh, it's man. more stable. I a story about kayaking. And then I got my paddle board and oh, I love it. It's, it's the one place so much of like the most beautiful parts of our city are off limits to people who actually live here. Greedy. But when you get a paddleboard, you get to go out into the middle of the bay. There's no one asking you what your room number is. Right. You just get to look around and soak it in. Why and... you gave me a shitty review? <laughs> yeah, who, sir? You need to leave. Yeah, you don't. You guys don't do the numbers anymore. So I'm sure you get less of it. We took the numbers off, but if yeah, if you Google it, the numbers still pop up occasionally. They'll might come back eventually, but we don't know. It's a good time to not have numbers. Yeah, that's what we decided as a as a company. It's just not a good look right now to be right trashing now, right restaurants. Now, right now. Yeah, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic we'll get back to a place where we can do criticism when the world gets back to normal. But right, right now, it's just not productive. It's not what we want to be known for. My one kayaking story, I've only kayaked once in my life. And that is when I was 350 pounds, right? And I was courting my current fiancé. And... We took a trip to San Diego. Mm. One of her good friends lives in San Diego. We we're going to go from San Diego up to L.A. You know, take the nice drive, rented a car, which I almost ran out of gas also. Um, so we're kayaking. I'd never kayaked. And I'm like, you know, just like you really got to be outside of yourself if you're trying to get this really beautiful woman. And, you know, like you're 350 pounds and you really got to put your <laughs> best foot forward here. So we kayaked uh, in the San Diego Bay. And nobody told me how hard that was. So... Long story short, always last. We were very much last, you know? And then on the final leg, the people that were, like, just, like, herding the kayak people just strapped us into a, a an actual, like, jet ski and just fucking... <laughs> just towed you back. <laughs> <Just> towed <us>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and man. since that day, I have been dedicated to the fact that I'm going to get back on a kayak and I'm going to do it much better than that one day. Uh, listen, now, I've I lost care. 160 pounds since then, but... I still, I'm a little fearful of the kayak. <laughs> I think you'll do great now. Maybe. I think you would love Biscayne Bay. It's wonderful. You can catch a fish and cook it at Ariat later. It's my favorite. I mean, I love the bay. And I'm also very concerned about the bay because there's some, like, serious pollution issues going down right now. Serious. Serious with a capital S. I mean, that fish kill that just happened in Biscayne Bay was terrifying. Like, terrifying. scientists had never seen anything like it. They were stumped. Well, when you see the photos of the amount of... Uh, shit that's getting dumped into the bay. Oh, yeah, every fucking day in Brickle. Right today, I mean, I was looking on Instagram, there's a big old sinkhole. Like, it looked like Brickle. It's either Brickle or downtown. And it's just, you know, what do you expect when you're building all these stupid-ass high-rises and, like, these construction companies that answer to no one? No one. And answer to no one. Absolutely. You know why? Because usually politicians are in their of back course, pocket. Of course, they're all Carlos Jimenez's, like, third cousin what? removed. But he won again. Shocking. Anyways... <laughs> We, I digress and we move forward because we've already unpacked on the podcast. I know. I listened Paul, to the Billy Corbin one. Oh, did you? have covered this Billy territory already. Billy is an interesting character. He is, isn't uh, he? You know, the thing about Billy is that he has this interesting way to just shock and awe people. And the shit that he says doesn't always fucking make sense. Yeah, I didn't appreciate yeah. what he said about Cubans on your podcast. Don't get me started. Yeah, well, no. I mean, it, it's listen, I, I like Billy. Billy's a good guy. Yeah, he's a, but I think also at, at the fact that... Uh, Twitter, you have X amount of words, and you're trying to get clicks, and you're trying to do certain things. Some of the shit that he says, a lot of people, like uh, Nick's good friend Ricardo Lamas, 
probably knock him the fuck out for saying because a lot of that shit is complete and utter bullshit. Mm-hmm. And it's it's degrading and a lot of times I think he needs to look at look in the mirror and his own people too because they adopt that same trumpism as a lot of Cubans do. So Yeah. I was really I really didn't like what he said about it. it's just like if that's how you feel you need to meet more Cuban people because my Cuban friends know like right. exactly what to do with democracy when they see Well, it. I mean I think that I think Nick Nick is an anarchist and I love him. <laughs> and I love him for that. I really do. Uh, I think Nick and I are a good representation of like where the Cuban American community is going. And it's going in a place that is okay with being against certain ideals and being uh, challenging things. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, the older Cuban community, I, I keep putting on and off the glass because they're new, so I just <laughs> fucking hate them. Go for it. Yeah, I know. It's worse, though. It's been the it's been a very difficult two weeks with these things. <laughs> but uh, the thing that's like, the older Cuban community is inundated with certain facts mm-hmm. that they grew up with and that it's just part of their nature, you know? Yeah. The younger Cuban community is very different. And that's why these things that we do, which are totally against the grain for Pancom Podcast, which is like our Cuban, our Cuba stuff, gets a lot of love, right, Nick? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gets a lot of love, gets a lot of views, gets a lot of traction because there's people like us that want more information and English information and like they want to know more because yeah. they want to be better educated i guess is the word right yeah yeah that's all you got that's cool <laughs> well no i mean if you I want mean, more, no that's fine i, I, I talking less is a plus I, I would articulate the billy issue with uh by saying that I, I think that billy corbin is sort of like the maximum exponent of being as uncharitable to your uh let's call it like political i don't know opposition or the other side and engaging only with the most facile, uh, easiest to knock down uh, arguments. Yeah. Because I, I don't find myself siding with the people that, that he criticizes, but I'm able to acknowledge that Republicans and conservatism uh, can be a lot more uh, robust and rigorous than the versions of it that he engages with and yeah. that he and that he chooses to share DMs from and that he uh yeah so so this idea that you know uh, to to speak of the older generation I don't want to go too far down this whole rabbit hole oh man we've, but, we've opened up a can of yeah, worms sir. but I, I I think that that he does what a lot of people do he does what a, lo- what a lot of people do which is to uh sort of engage in this cognitive dissonance of of when you want to criticize the other side, you just sort of disengage from the fact, from the reality that so many people see elections as binary choices. And they're going to play that team, that politics as team sport bullshit that he also plays. Yeah. And now that the election is over, he's willing to say that a, that a Levine Kava is flawed. As if she weren't flawed a month ago. Mm -hmm. You know, like, get the fuck out of here, Billy. It's a nuanced topic that does not get treated with the nuance that it deserves. And I'll say about the generational thing, which I think does get put on the Cuban community as a card-carrying white person. Same issue. Show me the card. Show me the card. Show me the card. Show show us the card. Actually, I'm all mixed up. I'm Jewish, Lebanese, Italian. I'm a lot of different things. But you're wearing chucks, and I appreciate it because we're actually wearing the same shoes, (laughs) just different colors. We all all subscribe to the chuck. (laughs) We're we're all one human race. Yeah, I joined the chuck. We're all one 
Chuck community, and I think I'm going to vote Chuck next time. <laughs> but that generational issue is there regardless of race, I think, in America, and at least in my experience. So I don't know. I just thought that was a little unfair. There's a lot that's unfair about There's, that. Uh, and, and he's right. There's a lot that's unfair. I think we've unleashed Nick on the podcast, and things can get <laughs> He's here fair. now. It can get bloody, and it's, and it's anarchy, but I, I love it. That's why we get along so well. But, um, God, this has been great. I loved my first PanCon podcast. There you yeah, go. This has, been, this has been really good. And it's so, I got to thank you because you were uh, – Nick asked you yesterday – Today, yeah. Who canceled? Who was it? I want David Fouquier. Yeah, we won't get into Fuchs. why. Ah, uh, we're not going to get into why. Fuchs, <laughs> yeah, but he had, he had good reason. Yeah, he had they good got reason. a good pasta pop up going on right now. Delete is pretty tasty. Is it? It is. I went a couple weeks ago. Good pasta. Good pasta. David will be joining us. So next week we'll be recording two podcasts now, and it'll be with uh, Jorge Padron of Padron Cigars, and oh. and David will join us on Thursday. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is all new information for me. It's not Same new. At, it's not new at all. We've been teasing this for three weeks. <laughs> it's cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Is what there... dictates to you good pasta? <laughs> you know, I gotta say, never been a huge pasta person, but eating out more in Miami has sort of. The, one good thing about this job is, even if I'm not like a fan of the food or I haven't always sought it out as a consumer, I try a lot of things, even if I don't like them. And you sort of get an appreciation of like, okay, I tried this and this is maybe on the... After you try like five or six things, you have a spectrum of comparison. Um, so good pasta to me is a little al dente, has a really deep, flavorful sauce, not too rich, not too creamy. If you leave it if you leave it alone for 15 Stop seconds... Stop putting cream in your pasta. It doesn't on. coagulate into like one big, gross like glob. Stop putting cream in your pasta. Yeah, oh. and it's just a little more like... Bare bones, like simple. Every ingredient that has to be in there is in there, and no filler. Stop putting cream in your pasta. I have a I have a follow up here that that I I had wanted to bring up before, but you had things that you wanted the to say. The only reason I ask is because today we, yeah. we tested all of our pastas, and uh, I ate six pastas back to back to back to nice. back to back. And God, I wanted to take a nap. But God, <laughs> it's they were hard. they were all amazing. I mean, Justin is obviously. Fucking super good at his job. So yeah. the pasta's really good. He's great. I love the pasta at Nave, I will say. I would tell you that I I'm a I'm a s like I love the old school shit. I love simple. Yeah. You know, like the matrachana. We didn't have it before. We brought it now because I felt like it was just like a simple tomato based pasta that we needed. It was fucking amazing. Like I could have lost myself in that fucking pasta and then taken a nap for six hours. It yeah. was so fucking good. All the other ones were also amazing, but that one was like, I fucking loved it. Yeah, that's a good Nick? Before you get to your question, oh, yeah, go what's ahead. your philosophy on bathroom breaks in this podcast? Oh, yeah. No bathroom break time! Here we go! Ba -ba -ba that thump you just heard, that was my pen ass hitting the bottom of the table. <laughs> <laughs> now on 1210 The Man, Romberg's pen ass hits yeah. the bottom of the table. That's going to be our 1210 The Man promo on like every episode. <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> And we're back. And we're back. Bathroom break. There you go. So uh, I, I don't want to, you know, take as much time here as you want to take, but I, I am curious, given that Mike, much earlier in the podcast, brought up my experience in cigars and oh. and and writing there for a while. I'm curious to know what what your experience has been because you came into uh, uh, you didn't go into journalism and, and and media with food in mind. And so I imagine that you've had a, an experience that was somewhat similar to mine in the sense that there's been a process 
of developing your credibility, not only with uh, the quality of your work from a from a writing standpoint, but also your palate. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a bit, or tell us a bit, Mike. You're welcome to listen. Uh, <laughs> yes. About what about what that part of of this sort of now several years in foray into food has been like, and you know, and just for the sake of of reference, I mean the the context here, and Mike and I have talked about this, especially when we've talked about our frustrations about uh, food media in yeah. Miami, even even the even the legitimate oh. media, and the the comparison that I've made has been, you know, that I I think what Miami is is lacking, and through no fault of anyone's necessarily is that unlike places like New York and L.A., I think because it's such a young city, we have very few people who... Uh, we have a lot of great storytellers, you know, uh, but we have very few people who chefs like Mike and a lot of others can look to and say, this person knows what they're talking about. When this person eats, they see and taste and smell the things I'm tasting. And for me in cigars, it took years of, of not just smoking, but of people seeing me on farms and seeing me in factories for not just for the credibility to build, but for my own confidence to build. So talk about that for yourself in terms of food. Yeah. When I first man, got into this. That is such a good question. <laughs> it's a great question. Nick. Thank such you. such a, I've, man, that was good. <laughs> when I got into this industry, all I wanted to do was write. And that was the only thing I was good at. All I could do was write. And Anyone who asked me to write about anything, I would say yes. And so I wrote about whatever, anything and anything that my editors wanted me to write about. I eventually got into a music editor position at New Times, oh, and cool. I, it was a very cool job. And I felt in that job like I was kind of like, this is a cool job. I love music, but I'm not like the most knowledgeable mus- person, like music person in the world. So I kind of had a little bit of an imposter syndrome when I had that job. And then at Time Out, I wrote a little bit more about restaurants, still not very seriously. And when this opportunity came about in the infatuation, I really said, okay, I'm going to try my best to rise to the occasion and do my due diligence and research and really understand what I'm getting into and what I'm writing about. So to answer your question, Nick, it's an ongoing process. I still feel like I'm learning a lot about Miami. I still feel like I have so much to learn about Miami because it's a massive city and it's more than south beach and it's more than winwood and it's more than edgewater and it goes way west of the everglades amen so i try and just educate myself you know i read mandy baca's excellent book on the history of miami food the sizzling history of miami cuisine available on the books and bookstore shop local if possible um if i'm eating a cuisine i'm unfamiliar with i really try and research it i just did a jerk jerk chicken guide Um, And I spent a lot of time just looking up jerk chicken recipes and watching videos about like how they do it in Jamaica and like what a lot of chefs prefer when they do that and trying to like identify uh, the right balance of spice and color and best jerk chicken in Miami. Um, for my money, being a market Clive's is a very close second. And I love Clive's. I, I love Clive's, Clive's so much. Clive's jerk chicken, you Jamaica, side of mac and cheese. Did you go to Jamaica? Kitchen? I did. Yeah, I love Jamaican chicken too. A Chinese Jamaican uh, sort of hybrid, which and, and this is to your point, Nick, something that I didn't, I didn't know there was a Chinese population in Jamaica. And then I went to 
to make a kitchen. And I was like, yeah. oh, wait, this is a thing. And so I started researching it and learning a little more about it. And It's the craziest thing when you see a Chinese person, they start talking to you in like a Jamaican accent. It, and oh, it's what, the most what, beautiful what's thing. What's happening here? I, there was a, I love a, so much when different cultures – and that's part of why I love anime so much. It's just Nikkei – or Nikkei, I'm sorry, I pronounced it wrong. Nikkei is oh. like the most delicious – Peruvian Chinese is great, Chifa, and also Nikkei, Peruvian Japanese is great. So – it's an ongoing process, Nick, but it's one that I yeah. try and really do my due diligence for and research. And I'm in constant fear of sounding like an idiot. And that fear kind of drives me to sort of fear is the master motive. Look up life. what I'm writing about before I write about it. Right, right. So, do you want to get into the wind down stuff, or yeah? I mean, I'm glad you mentioned Itamai because those are those are like my family, and I love them dearly, and I'm so happy for them that they opened and. You know, like, to see them in an actual somewhat restaurant space in comparison to being in a food hall was great for me. Like, just very happy. Mm-hmm. And I love that people love their food. I love their food. And I think that they're an incredible family. And that's just been – it's been good to see the reaction that Miami has had to them opening up a space. And I think this is only – just a small sample size about what's going to happen for them. Yeah, it couldn't happen to two nicer people. I interviewed Val and Nando as part of our year-end package. We were doing this package of like what it's like to open up a restaurant during a pandemic, mm-hmm. and we interviewed Itame, a place in Chicago called Flower Power, and a place in SF called United Dumplings. Um, so I, I got to go in a week before their opening and talk to Val and Nando, and just the nicest, kindest like most thoughtful people like you I can know. meet like in it for all the right reasons and not only that but just two of the most talented chefs like you'll ever meet and such a great story too i mean grew up in peru their father came to miami to fight for a better life for them and worked his ass off and got a reputation here and then they came and now they're following in his footsteps and doing something that i think is great that i think is going to live on for i hope a very long time very it's just long time. that is like Mm, I really wish there were more like stories like that in Miami. I, I, I mean, and there are, but I wish there were more like that. We're getting the attention, you know, right. that they're getting. Um, I, I, it's hard for me to talk about them and not get emotional because I just I love them so much and I love their food and I love so their good. story and their dad. I think is like he's like the man. Mm-hmm. I, I just love the whole thing and. When people ask me where to eat in Miami, I feel like Itamai is, a, is an easy choice. Boya Day is also an easy choice. Yeah. Stanzione is also an easy choice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ghee is also an easy choice. And it, it, I wish that more people were paying attention to the places that matter instead of the places that just had more the smoke and mirrors and the, the hype and the thing and the stuff and the fucking... The, the dancers with the sparklers and the fucking things and the fucking it's just fucking incre- it's incredible to me and I'll, I'll never lose it's not that i hate that i'll never lose that that feeling of just like listen man you're not real and and you're taken away from the shit that's real and that's the problem that i have with you i get what you're trying to do listen everyone's trying to make money i get it like i'm trying to make money too fuck i'm trying to survive i'm trying to live but at the same time like do it with passion and do it with like, I don't know, just 
with care. Like, give a fuck about what you do, not just because you're trying to do it for money. Not everything in life is about money. Yeah. And that that's the true reality of things. Like, people who do shit for passion. Like, when I sit there and I talk to Nando about sushi for hours, you know, like, how much that 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 chef cares about that thing that he's doing and how much better he wants to get is it's inspiring to me mm-hmm. and and you know like we have a i i call them cousins because you know like we call each other prima and prima like it's just like they, they're to me i i hope nothing but the most success for them and just like everyone else that's doing stuff like that mm-hmm. you know so when i don't Cheese pool city, that like, and so cheese often I feel like we're in cheese pool city sometimes, or like fucking uh, ad after ad after ad, and the cheesecake factories and the things, and the <laughs> fuck me, man, like, get to the real meat of the situation. It's natural to feel protective of those kind of concepts because in Miami, not only can we not get bigger because the Everglades is to the west, but we're shrinking because the sea level is only coming up. It's not going down. So there's a finite amount of space left for these people. And so when you see someone succeed, like it may, especially in the design district where, I mean, you know, all we have is like Michael's genuine down there. And that, that's a place that is full of concepts that quite frankly, I don't like. And I don't think are the kind of concepts that are driving Miami forward. But that Itame is, like, making it down there. Hopefully, I mean, they've only been open for two weeks, but I'm really optimistic about them for all the reasons you just said because they're outstanding, world-class, world-class. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not a – I haven't gone a lot of places, but I've eaten – you know, I've traveled and I've eaten around America. Boy, I, I don't know if there's anywhere where you can get better, like, you know, Nikkei cuisine than, than Itame. I just uh, don't. Today's Wednesday. Three days ago, I had a fucking dreadful day. Dreadful day. It was just fucking – horrible and i text the like the four of them and i told them i said you know i've had a fucking dreadful day i just want to let you guys know that i love you guys and i may come by because i need good food for my soul there's very few places that i would say have that impact on me Mm -hmm. and it's more than just the food it's the people it's the thing i personally fucking hate the design district because it's everything i fucking hate hate about this city i love michael and i love the fact that michael's genuine's been there for fucking 13 14 years now Mm -hmm. Uh, and the fact that they're there but everything else to me is fucking bullshit but like that food for me speaks to my soul and it speaks to a comfort part of me that like i could take a sigh and i could say man the world is shit and things suck but this this is great yeah, we just posted, we do these things called restaurant ride-alongs on our Instagram where we sort of post. I've watched. Yeah, well, so we just did one about Itame today, and nothing but DMs of, like, best place, we love this place. Like, yeah. yes, 100%. Nobody disagreed. Nobody DM'd me, like, this place sucks. I, You know, it's just, when you put these kind of concepts in front of people and let them try them and experience them firsthand, it's, I don't, I don't understand how a person can not love that. And if a person yeah. does not love that, then, quite frankly, fuck them. Yeah. No, I Something's wrong with you. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, there, I, I always tell people, I'm not a huge pizza person. I love, like, ratchet pizza. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with ratchet pizza, and I love good pizza. I always think, like, Stanzione, Lucale, and obviously the pizza that I think we do at Nave is incredible. Uh, 
and people disagree with me, and I'm just like, whatever. I mean, this is how I think. I, I don't know. If you don't like these things, then we just can't agree on this shit. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's so, in today's world, it's so easy for people to put their opinion out there for you to say that they disagree with you. I've just very much learned to just shut it off and I don't interact because I don't give a fuck. But, like, at the same time, I'm not, I'm still going to keep on saying the shit that I say. Yeah. You have to have tunnel vision at a certain point when you're really just determined to go at it. And that's what I, you know, I've heard this from, when I interviewed Val and Nando, it was for a piece about, like, what's it like to open during a pandemic? And I was trying to, you know, I think going into the story you want as a journalist you want to hear these quotes like we were down on our knees and like we were praying to the gods of like right, we right. think and it, the total opposite happened when i talked to them they were both just like look we kept our heads down while we were not working we volunteered with words world central kitchen we tried to help people and then we just got in here and we did our work and we thought about our employees and the people and we thought about why we wanted to do this and I mean, it's talking to them about opening up during a, a restaurant during a pandemic. It was just like talking to someone about like, why they took a shower in the morning. It was right. like, just what I do, man. It's just in my DNA. Right. And that's a similar thought that you get with like top-notch athletes. Yeah. Like really like, like excellent like Hall of Fame athletes. You ask them why they do what they do and they just say, they look at you like you're crazy. And they're like, it's just what i do i mean how can you not understand this they sort of have this tunnel vision to where it's just like this is the only thing that matters every time i wake up in the morning like i don't get how you don't understand this right which is part of the reason why and i I haven't known them super long but it was such a quick friendship and i and i just like i was like you know you I love you guys. Mm-hmm. Whatever you guys need, I, I'm here for that. And it's just like we, you know, we gained a friendship super quickly. And it's, I talked to them last Friday, Nando. I talked to him last Friday, and he was just like, "Man, this has been crazy. We did this and that." And I go, "I'm just letting you know, this is only the beginning, and it's only going to get better. You just need to prepare yourself for how that unfolds." Mm-hmm. And that's that's usually because you know they were in that uh, shitty food hall before. Yeah, um, Saint Rock, and then something else. Saint and now Rock, it, it got renamed like today. Interpreta- it got, re- it got renamed <laughs> Now it's MIA Market. Right. Um, just understand that when you open a restaurant, things evolve, and you will have to evolve with them. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's the thing. And but they're hungry, and they're talented, and they're fucking hardworking. Which yeah, is and like a thing. N- not easily shaken too. I feel like you could drop. A, like an asteroid on Itame and Val and Nando would just walk out the next morning and be like well got an asteroid to deal with yeah, yeah. let's figure it out and yeah just... I feel like I, the restaurant world is like that mm-hmm. you know it, it, when you've been in it long enough you understand that I, I'm incredibly passionately emotional so and it's part of the Hispanic in me like I just I get super jacked up and things happen and I'm just fucking like always like flaring hands and throwing things but I've learned and especially like recently because this year has been incredibly fucked that everything in life is a cause and effect right something happens how it affects you is up to you the asteroid falling in front of your restaurant like it happened so what do you do now you could be pissed about it or you could say okay now we need to do x y and z to just get through it and I think every good restaurateur, young, 
hardworking, the talented, you know, like they just work through it because they know they have no fucking other choice. Mm-hmm. When, when I went to go pick up my sub at, at Stanzione a couple of days ago, I was talking to Franco and it's just like the same thing, you know, like it's just like, and that's why I'm so incredibly, I feel like, uh, I, I think responsible is a bad word, but just like, I want the reason why we started this fucking crazy podcast for some fucked up reason um, was because I felt like people weren't telling these stories the way they should be told. I want to hear about the person, who they are, what's happening, how they got to where they're at. And no fluff, no cheese pulls. Keep it at home. Right. Keep that 15 second video to yourself. I want to hear about that. And I feel like. I've been fortunate enough to hear a lot of that in the last 70 whatever the fuck episodes that we have here and we'll continue to do more because like we we aren't Nick and I aren't up against like some big person telling us that we need to write about X, Y, and Z or talk about X, Y, and Z we just want to hear about people and hear about things and, and really what connects them to community and how they're working through it and I think, like, all that is just so, like, lost, you know? And it's so special at the yeah. same time. and it's so important. I have this experience, too, and I had it, me and the story that I ended up interviewing uh, Val and Nando for, I wrote in collaboration with my colleague from Chicago, and she had interviewed her people in Chicago, too, about the same subject. And afterwards, she was like, oh, my God, like, I love these people. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, that happens after you do an interview with someone. When you sit down and really listen to their story and hear about, like, just listen to their voice and the way they like talk about things and you just get an appreciation for the work and the effort and how long of a journey it's been that an instagram story just doesn't do and it's hard to get people to listen to it but the few people i find that when you tell those stories the audience is smaller but they're a lot more passionate and they're a lot more likely to cling on to the story you told and stay with it and support it a lot so it is really important work because i you know i've worked for places that value page views and i've worked for places like the infatuation that value quality and stories and real meaningful kind of stuff and i've you know on one hand you can get Thirty thousand people reading your porn star interview, which is which is still good. Get some advertising revenue, I guess. Right. And then on the other hand, you can reach a couple thousand people who are seeking out your content and genuinely care about the stuff you're saying, and will think about that kind of stuff, and then will talk to their friends about that kind of stuff, and will be an advocate along with you in a weird sort of way, and like just sort of act as like kind of like a secondary spreader for that sort right. of story. I still I still believe that word of mouth is the for a good restaurant is the most important uh advertisement that you can get. I do. I you know I've I've been out west a lot more than I ever have down on Bird Road and Hialeah and Doral sort of checking out restaurants. Bird Road eating at Arbetters, eh? I love Arbetters. Me too. Yeah, screw Nate. Let's screw Nathan's. Yeah, opening up down the street. <laughs> you jerks. Bird Road is one of my favorite places to go now. The Unseen Creatures is an excellent brewery. They've got some great little Isn't markets the, down there. Uh, our guy. Who's our guy? John Falco. Yeah. No. No, that's no. Um, but they're right down the road. Oh, and, that's right. And that's Lincoln's and Road, friendly. which is a, or Lincoln's, Lincoln's Beard, Beard which is right. another excellent. Yeah. And you got Josh down there too. Josh Premium Meats. 
Oh, Josh I Premier bought Meats. Josh an, <laughs> yeah. There he is. I he's bought some Wagyu people. from him yeah. a few weeks ago. Did you? Delicious. How was it? It was I was good? doing a guide to butcher shops in Miami, and I... Um, oh, you've gone down a dangerous road We don't here. like butcher shops? What no, happened? no. The question is whether Josh's premium meats qualifies as a butcher shop. And I will say, in fairness to Josh... They're Josh not slaughtering does not, cows back Josh there. doesn't call himself a butcher. Yeah. He is a seller of good meat and that's i think was the purpose of the guy like where can you go buy meat that's not public so yes essentially so it, I, good. That's i'm good gonna guy. defend josh josh doesn't call himself a butcher I, listen, relax with, i like josh and i like josh josh is good people and i will say i just want to preface that like we, i know I like i like if josh butcher, well is there an off i mean who is actually butchering i love proper sausages but are they like actually cutting up cows back babes there? babes is cutting up cows yeah i, I don't know i don't know about whole cows well, but uh, but they are butchering they are butchering. Yeah. The thing is to actually Josh is a, whole Josh cow, is a like, retailer. You, you need. I mean, a lot I don't of mean just to say cow, but like pigs or any like animal, any yeah. whole yeah. animal. Josh, butchering. Josh is not a butcher. He's a retailer. The thing with Josh is, yeah, and he makes that clear in his shop. Too. He makes it very clear, and Josh is selling <laughs> a product hot, hot that you cannot get in very many other places. All fed wagyu. Listen, yeah, that's what it is. I'm sorry. I I, I, I lo- love Josh, and I love Jason. And they do two totally different things. That's right. And I love Freddie at proper. Yeah. All good people. I'm glad that you're on the record saying you love Josh. I do love Josh. <laughs> Josh is great. I do think Josh is great. Okay, good. Why does everyone think I hate this kid? I don't <laughs> fucking hate this kid. You haven't heard the Josh. For fuck's sake. I, I listened to the Josh podcast. Right? Do you think I, I hate saw that kid Josh, after that? I saw Josh on Instagram and I was like, what the hell is going on here? It's just this kid who's taking pictures with celebrities and meat. Matt and then Kusher, I went to his store and I was like, oh, okay. It's just like a fine meat store. It's like Matt a Kusher, meat Matt Kusher interrupted a podcast we were doing to Shocking come and ask, Matt to come and ask Mike why something. he gave Josh such a hard time. I didn't give him more time. I was just asking questions. I didn't think you were particularly hard on him on that. I think you were trying to understand what it is he did. For fuck's sake. (laughs) (laughs) Which is complicated because I I wrote in my blurb that I wrote about him. I was like, this feels kind of like an illegal operation when you go to Josh's Premium Meats. It's like you're in the Bird Road. Let's go to Josh's Premium Meats. Going to like an unmarked warehouse and you walk in. There's like one employee there. And they're like, hand you a How many bricks you want? I love it. why does the steak cost one hundred and thirty dollars? <laughs> because it's fucking. Because it's, it's a brick. Good. Good. It's a brick. I brick. told my girlfriend's father is a big steak fan. She's like, "What should I get him?" And this is after I went to Josh's, and I was like, "You know, Josh's has an olive-fed wagyu menu that he'd probably appreciate." So Here's the other thing: she and split it, it with her sisters, and her dad loved it. And Mike has said this on the podcast. Mike is not a red meat person. I'm not. I'm not a red. I meat. Yeah, I love. I love. Surprising to me. I'm not. A, I'm not a steak person. Ever. It's. It is crazy. I have worked the grill station in my life for like 80% of the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Maybe because I was a big guy and they were just like, you just got to work the grill. I don't fucking know. You can deal with the heat. I have no fucking clue. But everyone has this interpretation of me that it's like, you're just the fucking meat guy. And I'm like, no, that's not <laughs> accurate. We cook a lot of fucking vegetables for fuck's sake. Like we uh, we use all local shit, all vegetables, all that. You know, like I don't get it. It's the Wagyu pastrami's fault. I think. Must be the pastrami's fault. I have no fucking idea. Pastrami but like, short rib. You, I mean, if you look at our menu, we have three fish and we have three uh, meats. It's fucking a little mind-boggling. Anyways, I'm okay with it. It's fine. Yeah. Got the I've, venison I've come, too. The venison. I love that dish. It's so good. It's great. I, I love that dish. We'll unpack that some other time. Why I love it so much. Wind down. 
We can wind down now. This right. So this is, this, is, this has been great. This has been excellent. Has I'm, it been sure, excellent? I'm sure we're going to have you back on. I would love to come Nick has tried to end this podcast at least. No, listen. The next I, I just, time David uh, Fook cancels, you Which will probably be go. the next time that he's <laughs> yeah. supposed to be on the we'll show. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, so this is where we do our parting recommendations. I'm going to go last because I have a bunch of them. Uh, oh, I'm but this is where you can recommend absolutely anything. Uh, a movie, a book, a, a trip, a restaurant the in or outside of Miami. Listens, he may be he knows. He knows what's up here. So, this parting recommendations <laughs> go. All right. Well, we talked about this a few minutes ago, but I am going to recommend. I've been grabbing everyone that I've talked to in the last week by the shoulders and just begging them to go to Itame. It yeah. is so good. That it's is my one. first and foremost. Um, there, it's a pretty safe setup. They got outdoor dining. Tables are very distanced apart. Let's, so. just started, let's, they let's, just started doing table service. For the yeah. uninitiated. And I was there the first day they did table service, and it was very smooth. So good. I, I can't recommend them enough. For the uninitiated, let's literally spell it for them. Itamai. I can't. I, oh, I, 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 I wasn't asking you. <laughs> I spelt it a lot in the last few weeks. <laughs> I-T-A-M-A-E. Ding, 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 ding. Itame. Does anyone know know what that means? Chef. Uh, I believe it's like a, like a slang word for chef. In Japanese, I think? Yes. That is correct. Okay. I, I For 1,000. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll do Itame. Um, since we talked a lot about this Tulum story, I'm going to recommend The Sizzling History of Miami Cuisine by Mandy Baca, which is available to purchase on the Books and Books online store. I really recommend that if you are interested in the food of Miami and the history of Miami and how we got to where we are right now. And then I'll recommend a TV show called How To with John Wilson on HBO. Oof, very good. You got to pay for HBO. It. Yeah, but HBO Max <laughs> is kind of worth it. One of my favorite <laughs> streaming services right now. <laughs> oh, man, that's good. Mike, what you got? Uh, I'm going – I mean, you already took the Eat to May thing, so I'll, that's fine. I'll accept that you took it. Uh, I'm going to recommend Top Golf. Um, I haven't been yet. I actually – I we did our uh, company holiday party. At Top Golf, and what a mess that was! Holy shit, <laughs> fuck! When you let a bunch of food and beverage individuals uh, unleash onto an open bar, God, it can get ugly. But <laughs> it was a great time. Everything was socially distanced, and everyone was wearing a mask. But very good. Yeah, uh, Top Golf was a good time. I haven't picked up a golf club in like 15 years, but I won't lie. And uh, my cousin that doesn't listen to this, I still whooped your ass, and that's totally fine because you golf every week. Um, so that's my recommendation. I, I I I don't know. I've been very into it. This isn't a recommendation. It's just a statement. Mm-hmm. I've been very into, and I don't know. I think it's because the moment I am in my life, I've been very much into 90s and the early 2000s rock. Mm. And I think maybe you should dip back into your old playlist, the ones that you were giving to your friends. Do you maybe have a, ba- a specific band recommendation? Man, you know, Incubus was always like a thing I for me. I've been getting into Incubus a little more. Lately, too. Yeah, it's just like Incubus is always I, – I also went deep into Green Day the other day, and it's been a long time. American Idiot is a good album. It's a good album. And I, I listened to a live album the other day, and it was it was still very good. And that was – it was different for me because I'm a primarily a, a hip-hop person. Mm-hmm. And uh, hip-hop and jazz and blues, like that's my jam. But I don't know why. And you know, actually, to give the proper credit – to I, I, uh, my old 2007 Chevy Impala has been in a garage for three years, and I just brought her back it's a to life. Car, with, a, know, with, a, with a Serapi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got I, a fucking Serapi seat cover in the back. 
I bought, listen, my 2007 Chevy Impala, I have a 61 Cadillac that I love dearly, but she's always in the shop. So I brought back my, my 2007 Impala for a daily driver. It was sitting in a garage for a long time. Spent a couple bucks, put her back on the street. Her her seat her seats looked rough, so I bought a Mexican blanket for the back seat. And I bought seat Nothing covers for the front. Yeah. And listen, she looks good. She does. She's riding hard. Right. I'd ride in that thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'd ride in that thing more than your car. So that's all. I'm, I'll I'll leave that at that. Petey's really fucked up the passenger seat. Fuck you, Petey. Barely does anything. I mean, look at him. He's just over there being he, a legend. All his energy has gone into fucking up my passenger seat. That, I don't believe that at all. Petey's a fucking saint. And he sits there and does nothing but lick himself. That's true. God bless him. If only the, all of us could live Climb that life. <laughs> <laughs> what what a great life, right? <laughs> Fucking it. Um, so listen to your old rock and, and really feel it and really enjoy it. I, I think that's Good one stuff. thing. Um, and then for uh, something to watch, I just watched the first full season of The Right Stuff. It's on. So I got Disney+. Plus. I'm a huge sci-fi fan. Uh, the Mandalorian people had been telling me forever to, to watch it, mm-hmm. but baby Yoda. Yeah. It's, it's not Yoda. It's, <laughs> let's not get it. Uh, uh, just, yeah. She or he has a name, right? It's not, uh, it's Grogu. This is a spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler. I'm just saying, um, so, but cause they're smart. They don't, they don't let all the episodes out at once. So you have to fucking actually wait a week, which is dreadful and i fucking hate it so i forced myself to watch other shit on the platform the right stuff is about the first men in space the first american men in space Mm -hmm. and it it, there's a lot of stuff and it's well done it's still very disney but um you know i thought i thought it was good i I watched the whole first season and then i was mad because there's not a second so that was good that's a good thing cool (laughs) georgia oh there she is yeah (laughs) Uh, and then also I recommend that uh, Nave, our uh, seafood restaurant, opens up on Wednesday. Cool. I can't wait. I will be there. I is the fuck... menu going to stay the same or a little no, different? It's completely different. Okay. I can never stay still. We've changed 90% of the menu. All the pastas are different. All the apps are different except for – no, all the apps are different. All the entrees are different. Um, different restaurant. It's not a different restaurant. It's still the same restaurant, uh, same idea. We just we had to make the footprint of the restaurant smaller because we anticipate a smaller amount of clientele coming because it's 2020, which is almost over. Thank Thank God. Lord. Nick, go ahead and unload, unpack all the things, sir. Here come all all the recommendations. Uh, Mike and Ryan have been smoking. A Foundation Cigar. Thank you to Foundation Cigars for that box of Charter Oak that they sent us. If you are looking for a good daily smoker, Charter Oak is the move. I, however, because you got the last two of our box of Charter Oaks, I have been smoking a Viva Republica Propaganda, which I don't know that you can get anymore. However, my recommendation is if you ever buy more than one of the same cigar... And the first one that you smoke is too harsh for you, put it in your humidor and forget about it for a while. Because this thing has been sitting in my humidor since July of 2014. And that shit was delicious. 2014? 2014. It's been sitting in my humidor. Fucking time. It's been sitting in my humidor for more than six years. Uh, 
So thank you also to Nick Melillo for sending us these Charter Oaks that allowed me to delay the smoking of this Viva Repubblica. If you don't like your cigars, it's just too much for you. Let it sit for a while. Maybe it won't be too exciting, but this was fucking awesome. Right. I will also, in connection to the Itamai uh, recommendation, <coughs> I will recommend go to YouTube and look up Sushi Chef music video. Nando Chang did a that's great... A banger. That's a good... It's actually on the area playlist. There you go. So look up Sushi Chef. Nando Chang Sushi Chef music video. Uh, I just said that in the most Cuban way, Paul. Sushi Chef with a hard CH. Uh, also, going back to the Cuba thing. Uh, again, we will link to this in the show notes on the website uh, and all that stuff. But Cuba Decide, which is the group that um, uh, Rosa Maria Paya spearheads, has a, if you are a Spanish speaker and you're comfortable uh, texting and whatnot in Spanish, they have a program uh, that you can find in the November. You can find information at the November 27th Instagram post of Cuba Decide. And the idea is that you WhatsApp message a number they have provided and they will vet you. They will send you a contact file with a bunch of numbers and you can be part of the effort to pass along messages about what's going on in Cuba to Cubans in Cuba who are unaware of what's going on in neighboring provinces and cities in Cuba. So this is just sort of like a, hey, you know, a, a very organized sort of spread the word campaign. And finally, uh, I wouldn't bring this sort of thing up if not for the fact that she has posted about it uh, publicly. And I would like for us to contribute uh, to all of this stuff uh, as much as possible. And Mike, by all means, I, I know that you have a relationship with Mari uh, or had a relationship with Mari. Uh, Deandra uh, Lamas, who has been on the podcast before, uh, her mother, uh, Mari, passed away recently. And I'm just going to go ahead and read this. I don't want to bother trying to put my own words in it. In lieu of flowers, uh, by the way, uh, Deandra is the, uh, uh, runs the Miami stuff for the community Yelp. manager for Yelp. Correct. In lieu of flowers, please help Maria support the community she loves so dearly. Donate to hashtag feed the chain and support local restaurants and people in need. In the comments of the donation page, write hashtag live like Mari so we know it is in support of her beautiful spirit. That's gofundme.com slash F slash feed hyphen the hyphen chain. Again, gofundme.com slash feed hyphen, sorry, slash F slash feed hyphen the hyphen chain. I'm sure if you go on, on GoFundMe and search feed the chain, you'll find it or on um, uh, the hungry post. On Instagram, they'll have she. They'll have a link. Deandra underscore Marie will have a link. Uh, but this is uh, Deandra's Deandra and Deandra's mom. You know, I I had very limited exposure to Deandra's mom, Mari, but I know uh, from my connection to Mike and other people that she was. You know, there's a a special place in the hearts of people in in food and beverage for uh, for Mari. And, uh, you know, whether you knew her or not, this is a thing to support. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of more detail from this post. Uh, this is what Deandra had to say in her caption for this image. Uh, giving love is what Mari would want us to do. We have been so overwhelmed with love. It is beyond belief. We truly thank you. When the pandemic hit, 
Every week, Madi made it a point to support a local business for family dinner, sometimes lunch and breakfast too. Helping support Miami by support by supporting local businesses Maria loved and also supporting those in need seems so perfectly fitting. Celebrate her beautiful spirit with us by supporting hashtag feed the chain and the hungry post if you feel so inclined. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for all the love. It is so incredible. I mean, it feels weird to share something that personal, but her thing is public, and I know that you know the goal here is to get more people to support this in Madi's memory. Uh, so I feel okay about uh, saying so here. Uh, so I I can't. I, I'm yeah. not ready to unpack all that. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's 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 a lot there, but I just I I you know it. Because that's a thing that's not time sensitive. I know that they've uh, in uh, in total. I think while we were recording this podcast, maybe Deandra posted that in a span of uh, in a very short time, in a matter of hours, they had raised you know a thousand and change, yeah. and that campaign is like maybe forty grand in. Yeah. So there's definitely room to continue to continue contributing, uh, and I'm sure that following the stuff we just told you. And again, there will be links in the show notes. You can follow all that stuff. I um, I, I you know I wasn't we're new. So <laughs> I wasn't going to like uh, uh, over emotionalize sure, the situation. Yeah. I mentioned I've had a shit week. Mm-hmm. This is why I've had a shit week. Uh, we can edit this. Take your time. Yeah. there's There's been very interesting instances in my life that an older human being has impacted me in some kind of way when i was younger it was a gentleman named hugo and he passed away tragically very young uh a couple more in the in the middle and and then uh i just met deander's mom really three years ago and i i probably met her before that but we we started to communicate more uh probably three years ago maybe two and she was just such a loving, incredible person. And she showed me so much love. She didn't have to, ever. I just cooked her food, really. Um, she always reminded me how special she thought we were. I was. This place was. So all throughout pandemic times, tough times, she always said the right thing at the right time about something that I didn't want to hear at the time. And I'm like a weirdly emotional person. I'm emotional and very sporadic about a lot of things. Uh... But it always sat with me and it mattered so much. And I think the moral of the story is really 
when people will show you love, recognize it, appreciate it, and learn from it. And those lessons that they may teach you, learn from it. Yeah. Because I think one of my favorite moments, and, you know, we're friends, and I disagree with all the shit that you say. (laughs) That's not true. But... (laughs) One of my favorite moments, because she was also one of the 22 people that listened to this thing. Yeah. So now we're down to 21. Uh, Her her legacy is that we'll say 21 from now on. Moving forward, we're down to 21 people because uh, she no longer will be supporting this podcast. Which she, by the way, created and owned. What? Oh, she, yeah, yeah, because she spread it around at work, and then people started reminding her, like, emailing her about how much they liked her podcast. Oh, man. <laughs> so the joke for a while was that this was Marty's podcast, and uh, she was just letting us do it. Well, how much she disagreed with Nick on one episode. And, and she so, never really told me why. It had to do with tribalism. Yeah, yeah, but that's as far as we got. I know, but then she liked you, because you... Uh, Shockingly, have a way for people to actually like you, which is a shock to me. I don't still. get it either. Me neither. But how when she met you, she she talked to you and she understood and she like, and then she just showed you a fuck ton of love, and it was just like very much her way. Yeah. And like, uh, I she she was a designer, so the first uh, art deck for Chugs. The new chugs that will open, she did it with me. No shit. Yeah. Which ended up going to another company that ended up compartmentalizing, you know, making it like a real thing. So, I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's been a... I'm, I'm a terribly emotional person. It's okay. So, I don't, I don't really deal with, like, the thing, you know, and it, it's all, like, peaks and valleys, and it's yeah, like yeah. very, like... You know, it's uh, when people are around, I'm just like, you just you, you, you have to confront the thing because the thing is there. But uh, at the same time, it's like this, her specifically, impacted so many people. And uh, her kids will, will reflect that, Deandra and her two siblings, um, because she was so incredibly loving. And in a world that everything is so callous and hard, me included, uh, that kind of spirit and soul is so rare. It's so special that I, I only hope that from the people that met her, they learned and uh, they could just take a piece of that and, yeah. and really implement it into their, their own life. At the at the risk of speaking from uh, too much ignorance, because really I only spent what were we there for like an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I got, and and I can see where the the love thing would come from, but given my limited experience, uh, and I think that there's a way to tie this into you know what we're about, not just in this podcast, but what we're about broadly, and I, and and maybe you can relate to some of this too, just in what draws you to. Uh, all of this like Miami-ness uh, and, and the very Miami things about, uh, about the restaurant, the homegrown restaurant community here was uh, my experience with, with Mari 
was a very Cuban Miami one in the sense that my only interaction with her was very, very recent. And it was the sort of thing that people lament having to have left behind in Cuba, which was, oh yeah, back in Cuba, you just used to hang out in front of your house. And that was normal. And the only time that when I finally met her after having had all of these like third person interactions with Deandra was when uh, we were uh, canceled on in another episode and we were invited to her front porch. And suddenly I found myself unexpectedly drinking and smoking on Maddie's front porch with Deandra and you and Percy and Larry Carino. And I found myself there. I was perfectly comfortable. I was totally comfortable. And that was 100% a product of Mari's openness, right? And so so I won't say love because I think that would be that would be me bullshitting because I didn't know her well enough. But she was so open that like, yeah, I don't know who the fuck this guy is, but you're on my porch. What do you want to drink? Right. And that's that's you know, my hyper limited experience of Mari was that and I think that uh, in that super short time, you know, she embodied so much of what I think, you know, all of us love about about this place and the things that inform who and what this place is. So, uh, you know, again, at the risk of speaking from some ignorance, because I, I only was around her for a very short time, uh, the fact that she made that kind of like an impression in that short a time was uh, was impressive. So. The world gives you what you need when you need it. I think that's like a very bohemian and like out there way to think about it. But in reality, uh, certain people are introduced into your life when you certainly need things. You just need to be open and aware that that's why they're there. Right. And I don't know why my good friend's mom came into my life and was an incredible human being and impacted me in the way that she did but she was and I, I think it's more about that what you just explained that feeling that openness that you know because uh, and I think you maybe not yet but as the more you experience times with chefs we're an interesting group and uh, uh, emotion and things aren't really like normal life and emotions aren't really our thing Mm -hmm. I think that's the reality of it. So someone like that, especially in the incredibly difficult time that uh, it's been when I met her, it may have been the reason that she came into my life and it may have been the reason she'll impact me for the rest of my life uh, because I really do truly think that she will. And just like Hugo did when I was nine, uh, you know, I'll be telling the story when I'm 50. Yeah. And I guess we could just leave it at that. Yeah. So there, there is no, I, because I'm the producer and I'll be the, the best. You got to do all the things, right? We'll do the things. And I will start the things just so that I'm the guy who somehow managed to transition to this. Shameless plug time. Wow. Uh, you can follow Punk on podcast. I know, I know. Listen, I got to be the bad guy here. Shameless plug time. Follow Pete the dog. Pete the dog at P-E-A-T-Y the dog. Uh, on all the social media things, Pankong Podcast. On all the social media things, dademag.com slash Pankong Podcast. Also, if you would like to give us money on Patreon, 
Do not give us money on Patreon. Wait until January. In December, give to the thing that we just told you about. Use that, like, whatever the 10 seconds back thing is. Wait until January to give us your money. Yeah. For this month, give your money to the uh, the Hungry Post and uh, the, the cause that Deandra uh, mentioned. Uh, I've had too many of these cheap whiskeys that uh, Mike feeds me un- regrettably not in a red Sadly, solo cup. Not cheap enough. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, what it is. That's what it is what it is. Uh, man, I am not thinking straight. Uh, so all of those things, Pancom Podcast, DadeMag.com slash Pancom Podcast, Patreon.com slash DadeMag in January. Hold off, put it in your calendar, and also give to the thing on Deandra underscore Marie's uh, uh, Instagram profile and also the Hungry Post. And that's all the things I've probably forgotten stuff, uh, and we'll let Ryan take the floor here with shameless plugs. Ryan, you're still here. Plug I'm all your stuff. This is unbelievable. The stamina me. of this man in the <laughs> cold, in this in frigid cold, weather. He's freezing. He's actually shivering. Yeah. I'm going to send you guys an invoice for the frostbite <laughs> surgery that's going to happen here. God, that invoice. Uh, do we have year-long terms? Because, man, it's been a rough year. That's going to be uh, – you want to send it to attention of uh, Ariad Hospitality Group. <laughs> okay, noted. I'll make my plugs quick then. It's, uh, you know, uh, follow the infatuation – on Instagram, infatuation underscore Miami. Check out our website. You can subscribe to our newsletter. It's pretty easy to find. You just Google infatuation newsletter. Um, and uh, thank you to you guys. And my condolences for your loss. Seriously, she sounds like a really remarkable person. And when I get home, I'll be making a donation to Deandra and the Hungry Post cause. And I encourage our, our listeners to do the same because I think she sounds like the exact kind of person that we spent this conversation talking about Miami needs more of. That is accurate. Yeah. Thanks for that. I got no plugs. All right. Very good. That's it. It's over. Goodbye. And goodbye. Goodbye.